It looks different out here, guys. It doesn't look like school. I said, it looks like a church service. It doesn't look like school. We need tables. <laughs> and uh, Randy, I have an invisible Holy Ghost shock collar on. <laughs> I think I'm so trained by now. You have had me so hedged in that I can't cross any lines. <laughs> Amen. He was a little nervous, I was figuring, because look at all the room I have. It's a light thing. I'm supposed to stay in the light. Walk in the light. They are bright. When you're up there, it's hard to see you guys. That's why I like to come down here anyway. I like to see folks. Amen. Some people might like that when they're preaching so they couldn't see nobody. Couldn't see their faces. Wow. You guys doing good? And we do this right off the bat. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, right. Who said yeah, right? Who needs to repent? Who said that? <laughs> Order. <laughs> you guys have one? Y'all ready? Everybody have one? Wow, thank you, Jesus. You got one? Thank you, God. You got one, buddy? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think it's a rice something. I got, I'm, get, I'm trying to get over that. I know one thing, we will remember Jesus, amen? No, it's a real serious thing, it's real awesome. Uh, Man, he came, huh? He really came. That's, I think about that. I, I've been saved 16 years, and this past weekend I was thinking, Jesus, you came. That might sound simple, but that is huge. You came. It says a lot, doesn't it? You came through the womb of a woman, and you grew up, became a man, got baptized in the river, and man, set your face to Jerusalem and gave your life. Now I understand, finally understand. My whole life I didn't understand. I just thought this man, Jesus, I didn't get it. I thought, why would he die for me? I really didn't get it. And uh, now I understand. So I want you to think about that. He really came. He really did what he said he did, what his word says he did. And not be in a hurry and think about that to reveal your value, to reveal your sonship, what he thinks about you. The fact that he came says he thinks a whole lot about you. Come on, if he didn't, he wouldn't have came. He had just left you here. <laughs> Come on, it's really powerful. It's not theology, it's, it's a truth that wants to touch your heart. I, I almost see us all alone sitting on the side of a bed somewhere or a couch and nobody in the room holding the elements and just saying, you know, you came. And being personal, you really came and gave your life for me. And I give my life back to you. It's a big deal. So, he didn't just come. He got beat beyond description. He got falsely accused again and again and again and again. He was unappreciated most of the time. 
gossiped about, misunderstood. And then innocently got killed on the cross. The most horrible way I can't even imagine dying on a cross. Can you? Can you imagine getting beaten, flogged, and then laid on a piece of wood and tacked to it and hung up alive? Waiting. They say, you know, you would collapse and then your lungs would shut down and you'd suffocate and you'd have to try to hold yourself up and the sun's cooking you. There's testimonies where the birds come down and start picking on people on the cross before they were dead. I mean, I think about this stuff. <laughs> it sober you up. Okay. Let's take this right now and just, I want you to close your eyes and you just think for a minute, just get sober with me. It's just the track I'm on. I just don't feel in a hurry. I feel real serious right now. We need a revelation that he came, guys where it means something, where it's not just a story. And I'm asking God to give us grace today to understand that Jesus really came. What he did was real. The pain was real. The sacrifice was incredible. It's hard to even wrap your mind around what he must have faced all the time, and yet love endured it. Love didn't buckle, and love didn't change. And the very people that were doing it to him he did everything back for their salvation. It's amazing. You talk about covering a multitude of sin with love. That's what he did when he died on the cross. So take this little whatever it is thing. And just remember Jesus right now in your heart. And just begin to thank him personally that he came. You people online, man, grab something. Get an element. Grab something. Just get something piece of cereal, piece of bread, grab something and just break it and just say, you know what, you were broken. Go ahead, just break it. And you were broken for me. You set a, an amazing example, sent me a, an amazing message. You didn't have to do this, you wanted to do this. And because of love, I guess it was like you had to do it because love doesn't fail. It's like you had to do this. There was, you were left with nothing else to do but pay the price for your people. And you never changed your mind. Put courage in my heart. Put strength in my heart. Cause me to be no-nonsense, looking forward, never stepping back. Put love in me in such a way, Lord God, that it's, love is what I have to do. Whatever it takes, whatever price for people, for a situation, forget the sacrifice. Let love just never second guess in my life and say, well, it's just what I have to do. It's just what love says. Teach me to never be frustrated and disappointed and discouraged again. Cause me to see what you see to know what you know, to be able to live like you lived. Teach me to carry my cross. Teach me to not take things personal, but have a bigger view. You were broken and you said, follow me. As you take what you broke in your hand right now, just personally begin to thank him for loving you and giving his life for you and the best you understand, begin to commit yourself back to Him. Make some kind of just inner heart connection with God. Just vow yourself to Him in an intimate way. 
And just tell him you're willing for grace to teach you and, and put sobriety in your heart. And doesn't mean you can't have fun and laugh through the day, but you know what makes you tick. You know why you're alive. And there's some lines you won't cross anymore. There's some boundaries set because of his sacrifice. And when you're ready, you just slip that in your mouth. And as you partake of him, you give yourself back. Amen? And you just say thank you in your heart. And you go ahead when you're ready in, a, in another 30 seconds, 60 seconds. You do this before the Lord. I know it's corporate here, but it feels more personal to me. You people at home, you just take your time here right now and you just commit yourself to him as he committed himself to us. I'm telling you, he came. There could somebody be in your life where you go out of your way to them. To them, you go out of your way. You don't feel like it because love didn't feel that way. But to them, you went way out of your way and, and they can't believe it and they're so touched by your expression in their life that they're sitting at home going, I just can't believe they did that. That's amazing. I just can't believe they did that. And to you, it's no big deal because of love. But to them, it's transformed their life. That's how it ought to be. So burn it in this God. I take this right now by faith. And the way you gave yourself to me, I give myself back to you and I want to give myself to others. Without reservation, thank you. Thank you. Take your time. If you didn't take it yet, that's okay. Just do it by faith. Make sure your heart has a, a vision behind what you're doing this morning. This shouldn't ever be religious. It shouldn't just be because it's Monday. Hey, that's right. We take communion. It's Monday. It's not like that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Okay. Let's take the cup, guys, if you're ready. If you're still holding on to the bread, that's fine. Don't take it quickly. You can catch up. Thank you, God. It's pretty serious when somebody gives their blood for you. I don't know if you think about that stuff. I think about it. I watch Jesus movies, man. I watch, I got a couple different ones of the life of Jesus, different makes and takes on crucifixion. I just turn them on and watch them and cry. <laughs> I get, I, I've been saved 16 years. I watch that stuff and cry. I can't not cry. I just want to keep my heart in that place. I love the ones that have the resurrection. You know, you go there and the stones rolled away and the next thing you know, they just show his feet first or something. And he just start bawling. He's alive. <laughs> I'm just sitting there. Woo! And I know it's coming. I watch it 20 times. You know, and I'm like, Ooh, you can come raise his feet. Ah, I'm a mess. I just watch the passion. And uh, the passion will mess you up. It's, it's not just a gruesome beating of a man, it's a message of love and life. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. You shed your blood. You asked me to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow you. I give up every right to my own life as I take this cup. And I don't take this cup just for what you can do for me. I take this cup because you showed me how to live. 
And when I drink this, I'm saying I'm in. It's blood for blood. I give myself back to you. It's where I belong. (laughs) So I'm not just receiving this just to be forgiven. But I'm saying I'm in. I'm your son. My life is yours. I give myself to you. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for making me righteous. Thanks for welcoming me home. I'll never leave home again. Thank you for your blood. As I drink this, I give you my life. And I thank you for your love. Release your faith, guys. Don't just take it traditionally. Get faith before the Lord. Talk to him just like I did. So I did that before the Lord. I didn't do that to lead you. I just did that from my heart. And when you're ready, you take this. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Papa. You do that when nobody's looking, because you want to, especially if you do it on any kind of regular basis. That'll start changing things. (laughs) Amen? I'm telling you, when nobody's looking, you get that out and you do that like that? Yeah. It's a good day. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Where do we go from here? Thank you, Lord. I know we're talking about healing pretty heavy the last two days. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go to Matthew 17 real quick. We're gonna, we're gonna, there's a whole lot more to talk about healing. There really is. Wow. Thank you. Matthew 17. I'm not going to talk about healing. I don't think as much today. I'm going to talk about... I told you guys I was going to talk about this a while back. Brent Brent from Colorado. Brent, we love you, buddy. (laughs) You're awesome. I was going to talk about fasting one day. I said, only half of you raised your hands. I don't know what the other half want to do. And he said, we're going to go down to the restaurant. He said, we'll be back. I was laughing. I lost it. I said, Brent, you're a trip. He said, because I said, how many of you are interested in fasting? About half the people raised their hand. I thought, oh, God, we got half the people raising their hand. I said, what are we going to do with the other half? He said, we'll go to a restaurant. (laughs) Go down to the buffet. All you can eat, brother. See, some people misunderstand. I've heard a lot of controversy over fasting because people say, well, we're not under the law and da-da-da. It has nothing to do with the law. It has to do with the spiritual truth and growing in the spirit and suppressing the cry of the flesh, the carnal cry of the flesh. Who knows that there's flesh tendencies that come up in your life and who knows that your flesh wants to have a voice? (laughs) And uh, when you're trying to crucify it, that's when it talks the most and it gets real like, 
Come on, man, we've been together a long time. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> what are you doing to me? I thought we were buds. <laughs> I've been with you from the beginning. <laughs> and uh, that's when you've got to get strong and say, die. <laughs> but no, fasting is a beautiful thing. I want you to see something that Jesus said. I'm not going to go into this whole story. We did probably way back in the beginning of school, I think I covered it on one session. We kind of touched on healing here and there along the way. We hit it pretty hard for two days. We just barely, barely got going though. There's a lot of things to talk about yet. And we have time. School's going fast, but we have time. But this is the story where Jesus' disciples were uh, hanging out somewhere because Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? So Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, so there's nine disciples hanging out somewhere. Now, it would be speculation to say they were sitting there groping and saying, how come we never get to go to them secret places? (laughs) Who knows, there's a lot of teaching on the three and the inner circle and the whole nine yards. I just think in the new covenant, we can all be in the inner circle. Amen? And we can all have intimacy with God. And if you don't believe that, you'll probably keep yourself out. But if you believe that, you'll probably enter in. So I believe we can all have access to him. Amen? So watch the, be careful about those teachings and don't, don't get caught up in a mess that keeps you at a distance. But here's the deal. This man had an epileptic boy, brought the boy to the disciples. It's Matthew 17. So you have to know that in Matthew 10, they already went out two by two and did some amazing things together. So in Matthew 10, the disciples already saw healings, right? Two by two. Jesus already gave them authority to go, already told them to go, and they went. And in Luke 10, you can see they came back. When 70 more were added, they came back and and rejoiced. And I saw this black thing out of the corner of my eye, man. I was like, I thought a bug was on my shoulder. I saw a beetle a while ago, girls. He was right here running around, so he headed that way. So, <laughs> Is he way down there? <laughs> he's heading out. <laughs> you guys in that Kleenex? You're amazing. <laughs> we would take communion. This beetle's running all around. I was like, get out of here. And he listened. He was like, he headed over your way. <laughs> he went by the wrong lady right there. She's <laughs> the dreaded how many bugs got swallowed up by napkins over the years. <laughs> It's like my wife, she grabs a napkin. I say, just throw it out the door. Well, grab a big napkin. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it was neat. He went, that's a long way for that little bug. That'd be like running two miles for us, man. That's like, gee. He was cruising. But uh, so where were we? <laughs> no, I had this black thing on my shoulder. That's why I brought up with the bug. But watch this. Matthew 10, Luke 10, they came back rejoicing because of the awesome things that were going on, right? So did these guys see healings and miracles by Matthew 17? Did they see them when Jesus wasn't with them? So they're probably pretty pumped because the things they're watching Jesus do, they started seeing flow out of their life. Well, that's the whole purpose of God anyway, right? That's why we're to follow Jesus. So these guys are pretty pumped. In this story, it's an amazing story because the man says, uh, he kneels down in verse 14, 
and he worships Jesus. He's, he's like crying out, really. He doesn't say he worships Jesus. He kneels down and says, Lord, have mercy. But it's this thing of honor, mercy, you kneeling down. Have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic, suffers severely. He falls into the fire often and often into the water. Verse 16 is an amazing verse. Because of this, so I brought him to your disciples. Isn't that amazing? He thought to bring him to the disciples. Why? Because the disciples, it started getting around that the disciples were doing the same things Jesus was doing. You can't find Jesus, but you can find his disciples. What better people to go to than the people running with Jesus? Come on, it's simple. He said, so I brought him. Well, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's not all that accessible right now. So, hey, but there's his guys. Oh, this is great. I know when they were over in this city and they went out into that city, man, I heard this and that. And yeah. So you'd be amazed how that happened there because he says, so I brought him to your disciples. I have a boy that's hurting. Guess where he thought to take him? To the disciples. He told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe everything I taught you. So if I taught you, you go make disciples of them and teach them and impart to them the same thing I've imparted to you. Do you see how it's supposed to go on from generation to generation? Now you got teaching out there, well, it stopped with the disciples. That is absolutely wrong teaching. You can't even substantiate that. There's so much scripture that blows that out of the water, I'm not even sure where we get that and how we can say that. I've never heard it substantiated, and I'm not being dogmatic and, and, and divisive right now. That, that stuff is just talking off your head. That's just taking natural circumstances and coming up with a reason to explain it, and that's not explaining it at all. Jesus said, Peter even said, that the spirit that's upon us will come upon you to every generation as far off as would believe. He said, go make disciples of every nation. Teach them to observe everything I taught you. He said in Mark 16, he said, you go out and those that believe and are baptized shall be sozoed, saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. And these signs will follow those that believe. He's not even talking about the disciples now. He's talking about the people that believe through their message. And now these signs will follow them and it'll just keep There's no way around it. It's just too much scripture. However, this stuff has happened to us. It happened to them. Isn't it amazing? Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't raised from the dead yet. But he gives them authority to go. He's already showing a message. Even in Luke 10, when he sends out 70, it said that that's a number that represented the Gentiles. Uh, 70 was a number that... That, that could be looked at that way. But regardless, there's a, there's a message I grabbed from that. He's sending out his 12, and now he adds 70 more. What's he saying? It's not limited to the 12. That it's going to just keep this thing, I'm, I'm giving this to men. That's in Luke 10, Luke chapter 10. So there's another one against, you know, the fact that it stopped with the disciples. Well, no, there were 70 other folks that went out and did the same thing. They weren't even running with Jesus every day like that in an intimate way in the sense of, but Jesus sent them out. I believe it's a prophetic statement. I believe he's pointing to the fact that one day all nations will be able to live by his spirit if they so choose and do the things that he did and follow him. That's powerful. 
So, I, so it's your choice. It's my choice. You, you give yourself to him or, you know, whatever we do. But, but the key is, man, let's give ourselves to him. That's why we're in this school. Look at this. So I brought him to your disciples. That to me right there, I know I take long with certain things and say things over and over. It's on purpose. It means something to me that the man thought to bring him to the disciples. People can see Christ in us. They have hope. They, they hear a good testimony. They see things. Uh, I mean, I, I, you try not to, when you're teaching like I teach, you draw a lot of attention. You're not trying to. You're on, you know, you're on the internet. You don't even know it. I don't even have a computer myself. People say, I saw you on this. You're on YouTube. I saw you on iTunes. I heard you on this. And I'm like, okay. I don't even know it's on there. But it sure attracts attention. People, then they, you know, Todd did these videos. And, 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 then, and then, you know, he did Sid Roth. And we start going places. And people are driving 10, 12 hours with people in a car. And we're going to do a conference or meetings. And there's people intercepting. And, hey, can you, we drove forever. And they're crying. Can you pray? And, you know, and, it, 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 and it, it's, it's, it seems like, wow, good. But it's, that's a tough one, you know, because sometimes there's more than one of those situations and you're there, a church hosts you, they invite you in and it's like, and that's our whole goal is to just, that we're the body of Christ, that they don't have to zero in on a person because Jesus is in us. It's just tough sometimes, it, it gets tough. I had somebody call me last week, I had more in front of me than I knew what to do with. And I had a call from somebody that I haven't seen for years. Can you please go over to Hell South and please pray for uh, this fella? And uh, I get those calls a lot. Kind of moves my heart a little. I'm a little emotional right now because I can't just say, yeah. You following my heart on that? But there's a reason they're calling me. Because they're hearing testimony or there's hope or they know my heart or they know that something. I just had a lady on Sunday slide over to me. I didn't get to meet them. They're visiting uh, uh, the church weeks ago and they ended up staying here. They like it here and they're here. And precious couple, they came over and she said, excuse me. I said, guys, I'm so glad you came. I've been wanting to meet you and I'm not here that much. And I get, I don't know. I just don't get to go and just say, hey, I, you know, I, usually I get up out of my chair and I just kind of hang in that area and I got plenty to do just with loving on people and talking and saying hi. And I like it. I'm not upset about it. But I never was able to make it to those people and meet them the last couple of weeks I was here and it's been in my heart and an offering I was gonna. And uh, I didn't because I thought, man, we'll be talking and it's just not the right time. Here they came to me at the end of the service. And I was blessed because I was there chatting and talking and, and I turned and they're right. I said, guys, I'm so glad you come over. I've been wanting to meet you for weeks. And I didn't even know they knew who I was, but they just listened to a CD and they just got really touched and they heard a couple of testimonies in the message. And she came over and said, could you please pray for my foot? My foot's broke and it's just never been right. And it feels like it needs to pop or shift. There's always pain, and it just feels messed up. I said, my goodness, we'd love to pray for your foot. And my little granddaughter was there. My daughter was there. My daughter just came in behind me. I didn't know. We were all just hanging over there, right? And, and, and we just knelt down, just picked up her foot and prayed, and she felt the bones move in her foot. They just moved while we prayed, and she stood up and she said, I said, well, that was the plan. <laughs> no, I mean, it doesn't hurt. I said, well, that was the whole idea. <laughs> 
But you know what happens when that happens then? And it's okay, but it's a body of Christ thing. People talk about that, wow, prayed. And especially if two or three or four people prayed and nothing seemed to happen. And then one person prays and it happens, then we mark that. I don't know, it wasn't until he prayed, dude. When he prayed, that baby moved. We just need to get the sick right from You see what I mean? There's something like this happened here. There was some kind of effectual move through these guys, and this man thought, I need to take my son to his man. Now watch. He brought him to, to the disciples. I brought him to the disciples, and they could not what? Could not cure him, could not heal him. Bummer. Isn't that a bummer? Don't you hate that? <laughs> Man, I hate that. You have no idea how I don't like that. Because <laughs> I just believe everybody ought to just get healed, jump up, and be okay. Jesus answered and said, you faithless and perverse generation. I'm telling you, this is the most convicting section of Scripture in the whole New Testament concerning us. It should humble us. It should make us hungry. It should cause us to seek God like never before. Instead, we're writing theology, coming up with analogies and over-spiritualizing things and pushing away the conviction of this chapter with all the things we say concerning healing. The easiest thing is just say God's sovereign. It's the biggest cop-out on the planet. The easiest thing is to just say, well, God, just, you know, it's just not, you know, it's just obviously not your time. We all prayed you'd have been healed by now if it was your time. Who's ever heard anybody talk like that? You ever hear that language? Well, look, we prayed and prayed. If God wanted to heal you, he'd have healed you. You ever hear that language? Y'all guys all heard that language? You ever hear any other stuff? Like, well, maybe God's using this in your life to build character. Do you ever hear that one? God's using this as a tool in your life. Well, isn't it amazing that in this situation, Jesus didn't say none of that? If I could paraphrase what he said, I'll read it in a minute. He was talking to his disciples, by the way. People say, well, how do you know he was talking to his disciples? Well, because if you read the rest of the chapter, it's obvious. But when the man said, I brought him to your disciples and he could, they could not cure him. Who knows that he's not holding the man responsible. Jesus is the truth. He's just coming. People don't have a clue yet. He's hanging out with his disciples every day and they're still struggling to understand. Right? Is he holding the man to the same standard he would hold his disciples? To much is given, much is required. Come on, it's simple. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the man when he says, you faithless and perverse generation? Who's he talking to? He's talking about his disciples. (laughs) That's a pretty intense response. (laughs) It's not condemning. It's really not if you follow. He's passionate. Here's what's happening. He's saying, oh, faithless person. You have to understand that he knows who we are. That's why he's here in the first place. Jesus knows who we are. That's why he's here in the first place. He doesn't think we're a bunch of losers. He's here to make a statement, you're worth me dying for. You're worth my life in the flesh. It's worth me coming and investing my life into this earth so that my life can get inside of you and keep on manifesting and reproduce for generations. It's worth me coming here and paying the price I'm about to pay. When Peter said, this shall never happen to you, Lord, he said, get behind me, Satan. This is happening to me. Come 
going? <clears throat> Most of us in his shoes would be praying for deliverance from the beating, deliverance from the cross. Because <clears throat> we have in mind the things of man and not God. No, it was fitting that he went to the cross. He set his face to the cross. So he's here, he's full of passion, he's heading to Jerusalem. These are the men he's investing in, these are the men he's discipling, these are the men he is imparting to and teaching that what he does, they can do also. Okay? The fact that he's here in the flesh means we've found favor with God. We have favor in his sight. Or Christ wouldn't be here. We'd be in a dry and thirsty land, drying up and dying. But Jesus came, right? That's why that communion just was real touching for me this morning. I'm thinking, phew, he came. So he says, you perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? That doesn't mean he's frustrated and he's ready to leave them. How long shall I be with you means my time is short. I'm heading to the cross soon. I won't be here in the flesh much longer. You gotta get this. That's what he's saying. He's saying, how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Almost sounds arrogant. It's not arrogant. He knows the will of God. Is the will of God to heal the boy? If it wasn't, he wouldn't say, bring him to me and heal him, right? Now watch, this is so convicting. You preach this out and you go to certain churches that have certain backgrounds and you preach this story out and you, they don't even want to answer your question. When you say, you say, was he talking to the disciples right now? Who was he talking to? And, 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 and even if he wasn't talking directly to them, he's talking to people. And the question is this, was it the will of God to heal the boy? And you get these congregations to say, you know, they're, they're afraid to answer. They feel like they're being set up. And, they, and I've done this a lot in congregations because they have a lot of reasons why we're not healed in their, in their book, in their theology. And yet Jesus, can you imagine that? Jesus could have said, I'm so glad he didn't. Jesus could have said, wow, you took him to the disciples? Wow. Well, man, what a good heart. Thanks for trying and having faith. But no, it's not. It wasn't for them to do. This one's reserved for me. The, the time wasn't right for them to do that because of, come on, something. Isn't it good he didn't say, well, that's because you don't understand, sir. God's allowed this to happen to your son because he's trying to get your attention in this area. And he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, that's because it's not the will of God to heal him right now. No, he said, you faithless, twisted-minded, corrupted-thinking people. <laughs> that's what it means. Perverse generation means twisted-minded, corrupted-thinking people. Hello? <laughs> and we're, the see, now see, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble right now. Here he is saying our thinking is perverse and twisted and we're still making up analogies about God and why he did and why he didn't. We're still writing a book that's already written through a perverse and corrupt mindset that's self-serving, self-centered, self-protecting and void of power and ah. See, if Jesus would have said the things we say, then we could accept it. 
If just one time some, somebody would have cried out, have mercy, and he'd say, I'd love to, but it's just not your time for me to have mercy, and it's not the will of God, and God's using this as a tool. Now, if Jesus declared the Father to us, and Jesus never said that, why do we say that stuff all the time? Watch what he did say. You perverse generation. That means corrupted-minded, twisted thinking. Here's the deal. He's saying, oh, you guys. See, he's face-to-face to to the fall of man. Our minds need renewed. We need transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can prove the will of God. Through the fall, we became self-centered, self-conscious, self-justifying, self-preserving, self-sufficient. Because of that, enter in jealousy, pride, protecting yourself, justifying yourself, anger, frustration, disappointment. It all has to do with being self-focused, self-centered, self-conscious. Come on, self-conscious is the biggest reason for identity crisis on the earth. Low esteem. There's people that, that, that have no value to their life. They're letting their the self-consciousness, they're comparing themselves among themselves, they're weighing themselves based on others, they're under the pressure of life, and they lose themselves in that rat race. Self-consciousness, that's what hit these boys. Jesus said, bring the boy. He says, how long shall I be? He's passionate. He's saying, guys, I'm heading to the cross soon. I'm going to hand you the baton of the New Covenant, New Testament church, and you're going to go in the authority and power of my name and subdue the works of my hands. You have to get this. That's what he's saying. He said, let me show you again, because I'm about to hand you the baton, and you will soon be the body of Christ, the embodiment of what I'm showing you. Did he go to the Father and sit at the right hand? Isn't that what the Bible says? And he gave us his spirit to follow him. So what he's saying is, guys, it's the will of God to heal him. Okay, do you see that Jesus rebuked this spirit? It came out of him and the child was cured that very hour. Do you see that in your Bible? Was it the will of God to heal the boy? Was he healed when his own disciples prayed? Oops. And what Jesus had to say about it is what we almost never, ever say. <laughs> when do we hear in our circles and people, when do we hear, boy, I just need a greater revelation. I need to get out of myself and get out of my flesh and my sentiments, my empathies. Man, I need to live and learn to live by the Spirit and walk like Jesus walked because I know there's a place for that to take place. And just because we prayed doesn't mean it wasn't the will of God. We need more of Jesus. We need a deeper revelation. That's not what we usually hear. But that's what Jesus is saying. We usually come up with something. People pass, we're praying, the whole church is praying, and people pass, and it, it's, it's without fail. People are hurt, and somebody will usually rise up and say, well, you know, I knew they were going to pass. Jesus was showing me he was going to take them. Uh, that, without fail, that happens. People will rise up and say that. This without fail happens. You're praying for Sally. We love Sally. She's the best 
man, she's the most precious person. God, we can't believe she has cancer. We're praying. And in the middle, people prophesy, right? We're surrounded and praying. Uh, I just saw a vision from the Lord, and I saw the Lord's hand come down and touch her, and the Lord said, I shall surely heal Sally. And everybody goes, whoa, yay! And they call it prophecy. And then Sally passes. Who's ever been in that scenario? There's, there's no need. The reason we try to prophesy that God wants to heal the person is because we're looking for encouragement because we're moved by everything that's happening. There's no, there's no need to prophesy concerning healing because the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You already have God's prophetic word. This whole thing is prophetic concerning your healing. You already have the word of the Lord. You don't need a man or a woman to rise up and say, for thus says the Lord, for I will heal thee this day. You already have that. And the reason we go bonkers and rejoice when that person prophesies and go, woo, is because our hearts were failing and we weren't believing it. We ought to look at the person when they do that and say, well, of course he is. That's why we're standing, because we have the book. I've been in that so many times. I've seen people rise up and feel prophetic and they prophesy the healing of a person. When we were praying, I saw a healing angel standing there and, they hit, and everybody's like, yeah, and they put all their confidence in that word instead of the word that's already given through the Son of God. And then you go on and see the thing not come to pass and then people are confused and hurt, frustrated. You follow me? When you're surrounding somebody dying of cancer, it's not even the time to prophesy. It's the time to believe what he's already said. I'm just being plain. You already have the word. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And if you understand the finished work of Christ, you have every reason to have faith in your heart because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word and it works through love. So if we can build on the love of God for the people and the finished work of Christ and get out of the way and learn to minister by the spirit that way, We'll walk like Jesus walked, I'm convinced. It's frustrating to me sometimes in a sense, not in a bad way when I say frustrating, it just, uh, just who knows what I mean? I'm serious, I'm for real, I'm not fly by night. I'm, uh, I, want, I, don't, I don't like when I pray for little kids and, 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 and they don't change and, and, and I know they can. And, uh, and I, Anybody, it's not just little kids, but uh, it's just, uh, and I know there's a place. And it has to be like these disciples felt. Can you imagine the disciples? Be real with me. When Jesus, when that man brought the, the, the epileptic boy to the disciples and said, can you pray for my son? I don't think they were like, who, us? I think they were like, well, sure. Because they, they already were out. They were already doing it. I don't think they said, uh, man, I don't know if we should. Maybe we should wait for Jesus. There's no indication of that. The man brought them to the disciples and they prayed. They said in verse 19, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast it out? So did they try? I don't think they were sheepish. I think they, they just said, sure, let's pray. Let's go for this. Jesus gave us permission. Right? I think about these kind of things and I'm thinking, you know, I'm putting myself in their shoes because I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to mispreach the word. I want to follow Jesus. 
I don't want to argue about all these doctrines out there. It takes us nowhere. I want to understand. I want to bear witness with my life of the truth. I want my life to reveal truth. So it's not about arguing doctrine. It's not about debating and trying to cut up everything that everybody's saying, but finding a place of truth where the power of God flows. Amen? So that's why I take time on this stuff. And I'm sitting and I'm thinking and I'm reading. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Epilepsy's a visual. This boy's in seizures. Epileptic seizures. If he would have stopped seizing when they prayed, they would have thought he was probably healed. The fact that they're saying he's not healed, he must have kept seizing. He must have had some indication of epileptic activity. True? Come on, that's just not hard to figure out. But I have to think about it. That's stuff we might not be thinking about. So who knows that sometimes when you have something visual, you got your eye gate, you got your senses involved, you got your mind involved. You got a visual impairment, a visual sickness, and you're praying, your eyes are on that thing. If you've got an arm that's lame or withered, let's say you have a hand that has nerve damage and it's like this, and you're praying, and you pray your best prayer. You, you pray what you understand. When I say best prayer, because there's, <laughs> I could be facetious saying that without trying to be. Sometimes we think it's our prayer. It has nothing to do with your prayer. It has to do with your belief about God's love for people and his finished work. You could say, hand, be whole. That, that, that's simple. We get to a place, Jesus just said, stretch forth your hand. You see what I'm saying? But you got that hand and you pray what you feel is your best prayer. Hand, you be whole. You return to your original value through the blood and name of Jesus Christ. For it's the will of God that you be restored. Be whole. And that hand's just sitting there. And as that hand's sitting there and you're praying, your eyes start fixing on what's not happening and what that hand looks like and doesn't look like. If you pray for the sick, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you start looking at that visual, and that visual gets in your head. And, and now, it's, it's just something happens. You, you, could, you could shift the gear. You start trying to pray another prayer. You try harder. Now you're trying to get, it's that breakthrough phrase. We're always using the phrase breakthrough in the church. I'm not a real fan of that. The stone's already rolled away. I, I did this. The whole breakthrough phrase is just because we're trying so hard and we feel so stepped behind and bound. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a breakthrough, brother. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Do you believe God loves you? Well, I'm just waiting for a breakthrough in that area, brother. I think we're, what we're saying is I'm waiting until I essentially, emotionally, one day realize God's love. Whoa. <laughs> Stone's already the love's there. Got to accept it and say yay, and you live by faith. Amen? Let me get back on course here. So here you got, here you got a bunch of sincere men. Who believes them nine disciples were sincere? I believe they were so sincere. I believe they were actually, honestly, I personally believe they were pumped up and confident to pray for him. When you're confident and something doesn't change right away, that sure blows, bursts the bubble, doesn't it? Who's ever done that? Who's ever felt so confident that what you were going to pray, you felt in your own inner self that, man, this is going to happen. You started praying and it didn't seem to happen and your mind starts tripping and stumbling and skidding and spinning. And then you got a million flesh questions. That's what's happening to these guys right here. You can tell by the language. But the, the key point is Jesus healed the boy and corrected 
his disciples in the process. So we know, it's not presumption to say, it, it was the will of God to heal and the disciples could have healed him. True? But see, I've never heard that taught in the church in my life, ever. What I'm teaching right now, I've never in my life heard taught or on a tape, my whole life. And it's amazing how this kind of stuff gets swept under the carpet. But I heard a lot of other stuff taught. <laughs> but I've never, this is Jesus, guys. This is red letters. This really happened. We preach through our own scenarios and make a doctrine out of it. We're to follow Jesus. Let's preach out of his scenarios. And if you can't find Jesus saying it, we ought to stop saying it. And if Jesus said it, we ought to embrace it and let it become ours. True? And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way that I never saw, hey, I got the revelation, I'm teaching this. No, in my bedroom I'm reading and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm reading this and I'm going, oh, nobody ever told me this. Why didn't anybody ever tell me this? Nobody ever told me this. Nobody ever told me that Jesus died on the cross to restore my value. He's always told me he died on the cross because I'm a sinning mess. Nobody ever told me I was precious to God. The Word told me that when I got alone in the bedroom. The Word of God told me that. Isn't that awesome? Probably ought to spend time with him, huh? Probably shouldn't just think too much on our, in our own minds. <laughs> Probably shouldn't listen to too many other people if they're just thinking as well. <laughs> Not out of respect for people, but we just don't need people's opinions, do we? Probably spend time in his word. Because I got a real encounter where Jesus, in red letters, addressed the situation. Revealed that his disciples had the authority, had the will of God on their side, had heaven with them, and yet they prayed and it didn't happen. That gets my attention. You know why? Because it's happened to me way too many times. Has it happened to you? Happened to them. I put myself in their shoes. I'm picturing Jesus walking through the earth. Uh, what is it you want me to do? Why are you crying out? Uh, that we might receive our sight. See. <laughs> I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately. Take your bed and walk, sir. Stretch forth your hand. Togan on the robe, 12 years of bleeding, boom, stopped. It was just boom, 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 to the tune of the world wouldn't contain the books if they're written one by one. So imagine 12 little fellas following Jesus through life. Whoa, oh my God. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Not Stay in faith, not what we have to do all the time. Stay in faith, brother. We prayed, we believed. Who knows that's still faith? I'm not demeaning that. But we end up doing that a lot, just believing, right? Ron just told me the last time we prayed for, for his feet, they, in two days, were noticeably better, and they've been better since, to the degree of a lot better than they were. So who knows that's still the power of God, and that's awesome. But you don't even see that in Jesus. You just you take your bed, walk, stretch forth your hand, see it's just bam bam now here you got these disciples and they're just I mean he stops the funeral of a widow's son and he touches the casket which is way out of bounds if you understand their culture 
And then he gets the boy up. And imagine you're 12 disciples and you're standing there. Come on. And then Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me, I send you. And if you believe in me, the things I do, you'll do. How do we muddy that? That's clear language. But we stay self-conscious, low-esteemed, insecure, identity issues, but yet what Jesus said is still true. It's still possible. Still there. You follow me? I put myself in their shoes and I'm picturing this boy. He's, come on, this is a serious thing. He often, what? He suffers what? He doesn't just suffer, he suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and into the water. This boy is being thrown around by the spirit. And it's an epileptic expression and seizure, but it's a spirit. And it must have been pretty radical if he's flopping into the water and the fire. He's being thrown around, out of control, probably crazy. Right? They're praying for him. He's probably out of control. They're probably trying to keep him from going somewhere. Think with me. And they're praying, and he's freaking out, manifesting. And he never stopped manifesting, obviously. See, I like to get them visual Bible stuff, that Matthew videos, I watch them, and they got that boy on there, and he, they go get him, and he's over along the wall. And it's not, it's not being crude, it's just being real. It got him, I mean, it looks so, and they're bringing him to, and Jesus just reaches out, and he just, he just puts his hand on him. And he just collapses. He wakes up, and he's totally, he looks at his daddy, I'm just all messed up. Because it was like that, if you read. But that's, what, that's where the trouble is. They're praying. And I can only imagine all justice to the disciples. We're not bashing the disciples. It happens to us all the time. We're not picking on them. It happens to us too much. I can only imagine what was going through their mind. Why is he still seasoned? Why didn't he stop yet? If Jesus was here, he'd be healed by now. What are we doing wrong? Just imagine what was going on. Because he talks about perverse generation, corrupted-minded, twisted-thinking people, which means he's pointing to the problem, saying the problem is where? I don't think the problem was here. I think these guys are in, don't you? problem was here now watch Jesus rebuked it and said come out I love verse 19 I'm so glad they did this and I'm so glad God wrote it they came privately private session with Jesus I mean this is an intimate time come on he said to you these mysteries are given and revealed he he, he called these men into a place of intimacy and he was giving secrets to them man watch this why couldn't we, pretty direct question, huh? One of the questions we get all the time when we do power and love, how come if it's God's will to heal everybody, everybody's not healed? That's like the number one question. That question 
should be long answered because we aren't walking in the revelation we're called to and we still got issues that are getting resolved in our lives. <laughs> it does have nothing to do with God. There's nothing to do with God. Did he give us the authority of his name? Did he tell us all things, whatever we ask in prayer, believing it shall be done, we'll receive it. Did he say, if you believe in me, the things I do, you'll do and even greater things because I go to the Father. Did he say, as the Father sent me, I send you. Did he say all that? Do you believe it? Well, then we have to grow into it. Why, just because something didn't come in line with what he said, do we change what he said? Why don't we just seek more? Why don't we just press in? Why don't we just die to things more? Why don't we... And I'm heading somewhere with this, you'll see. Because it's the number one question, then how come everybody's not healed? Prayer isn't the evidence of faith. We covered that last week. Just because you pray doesn't mean you're in faith. Sometimes you can pray just because you're trying it to see if it works. Just because you know you can pray, you pray. Doesn't mean you have a revelation of God's love for people in the finished work of Christ. You follow me? We think because we pray, we've believed. Do you think they prayed? Did he get healed? Ooh, Ah. help us, Jesus. Why couldn't we cast this thing out? Jesus says to them, man, I love this. It's red letters in your Bible, Jesus said this. See, if this is the answer Jesus gave, we should throw every other thing away. Because all those other things we say, he never gave an example of them in the word. We came up with them because they make rational sense. True? Come on, stay with me. Because of your what? Oh God, let's go with this. Let's be humble. If he's talking to his disciples, he can talk to us. True? Don't anybody get offended here. Nobody. Watch. Why couldn't we do it? Because of whose unbelief? Who's he talking to? Is he talking about the dad and the son? No. So it has nothing to do with the dad and the son. So he didn't say because the dad's wrapped up in a generational mess. So he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, there's issues in the father's heart that are binding the son. Well, you have to understand that the son, you know, is this and that. They come up with all this. There's so many stuff out there. I don't even need to repeat it because then it'll sound like I'm picking on things. But who'd Jesus address? The belief of who? His own disciples. So he took it off of the man and the son completely, didn't he? These signs shall follow those that they will lay their hands on. So it has nothing to do with the sick person, according to Jesus. They're the ones that need help. We're not gonna put restraints on them. We're not gonna put pressure on them. It is, they're the ones that need help. They're the ones in trouble. They're the ones that are saying, help me, Lord. The sign follows who? Those who believe, they will lay their hands on who? It doesn't say a thing about the sick believing, does it? had a real, real fun testimony. When I was in Colorado, I took a couple people out. We went into a wet Wagmans. 
Yeah, is that a place? I'm not a shopper. I thought that was a place. (laughs) And I wanted to grab something in there I needed for the hotel room. And the clerk in there who was managing most of the store was running around. He was very inundated. He had a lot going on. And he had to come up and check something at the counter. And I caught him running back to the aisle and he was stocking something. And and he had a big apparatus on his wrist. And I went over and I said, hey, buddy, his name was Tim. I said, hey, buddy. I said, what, man, that's serious looking brace. What's going on? Oh, it's real bad carpal tunnel. He said, my whole hand's numb. I've lost, completely lost feeling. He said, they're going to do surgery on Friday. This was Wednesday. They're going to do surgery on Friday. I said, no way. I said, listen, man, you got nothing to lose in this. I know you're busy. You're on the clock. I see you're managing. He's the manager. I said, 15 seconds. Just want to pray for your hand. Let's see what happens. I believe Jesus can bring it to life right now. And he said, well, we got one problem with that. I don't believe any of that stuff. That's how he responded. And I just got him to look me in the eyes. I said, friend, look me in the eyes. That's not a problem. I believe. Let's give me your hand. And he got real nervous and laughed and turned his head. And I said, I threw you with that, didn't I? I said, that not believing thing's been your easy out. That's been your cop out from people like me. And he kind of got silly and laughed again. I said, but I'm serious. You weren't expecting that. I said, it has nothing to do with what you believe. God won't hold you to what you fail to see or understand. I said, but he'll bless you through what I see and understand. Give me your hand. Let's pray. That was pretty confrontive. That's, that's, it was loving, it, it, but it challenged him because he was trying to hide. Now there's nowhere to hide. Had him look at me a couple times. He said, well, don't you hear him call me to photo? They called me three times now to photo. And they did. They were calling him. And I said, well, yeah, I do. And I said, I didn't realize they were calling you, but I hear him calling. I said, I'm not here to impose on you. I'm here to bless you. I said, so here's what we're going to do. And my, my two people had walked over by then. I said, these are two friends of mine. We're going to pray right now. And as you're walking over to photo, I want you to go like this with your hand because I believe it's going to come alive. And he's looking at me like we are totally from another planet. (laughs) Yeah, good answer. So we take hands and we begin to pray and he takes off like, whew, I got away from him. While he's going to photo, his whole hand comes alive. Completely total feeling in his hand. And he didn't know what to do. He was back on the phone with a customer. And I was heading out the front door. I told him we'd check on him. And I'm, I'm, I'm turning to go towards him. And he puts the phone down. He tells him to hold. And he said how afraid he was. He said it three times. He's really, really afraid right now. What's going on? My whole hand's alive. I have no numbness. You guys are really freaking me out. <laughs> And I yelled real loud back the store about Jesus being Lord and whether he believed him or not doesn't mean that he's not real. Just because you didn't believe in him doesn't mean he's not real. He's still Lord and he loves you. And he had mercy on you. You just didn't understand. But now you know he's alive. And I just told him to pursue Jesus, et cetera. And I trusted that with Holy Spirit. He's still on the phone with a customer. And we headed out and we're heading back because I had to teach the next session. That's just sowing seed. But who sees that? It had nothing to do with that man. If it had anything to do with that man, Mary, when I said about praying for him, and he says, well, we've got one problem. I don't believe any of that stuff. Then we have a problem. Jesus would have had a lot of problems. 
because they didn't believe him to the tune of killing him on a cross, guys. And he healed everybody he prayed for. <sighs> you following? How many did he heal that he touched? He didn't touch everybody, but everybody he touched, how many were healed? Anybody that asked or cried out, how many of them were healed? Isn't that amazing? Some people, about a third of the uh, times in the Bible, it talks about healing, they, he acknowledged, almost a third, he acknowledged their faith because he's trying to stir faith and encourage faith. But when he doesn't acknowledge faith, I wonder whose faith healed him. Right? When you go into a city and nobody knows who you are and they've just heard talk and they come out in the city and you heal all their sick, there's no way they have faith. He heals a man at the pool who when the Pharisees said, who told you to carry your mat, who healed you? He said he couldn't answer because Jesus withdrew himself. He didn't even know who Jesus was. When, his, when, when, when the Pharisees challenged him in the temple with the man with a withered hand because they saw the man and they thought, man, this guy is a pushover for healing. We're going to get him to heal in front of everybody on the Sabbath and set him up and trap him so we can accuse him. So they said, excuse us, teacher. They didn't care about the man. Are you kidding me? They didn't care at all about the man with the withered hand. The man with the withered hand is just at temple because it's the Sabbath. There's no indication that he was there to be healed. They exploited him. They took his condition, exploited it to trap Jesus. It's in your Bible. They said, uh, excuse us, teacher. Is it lawful to <clears throat> heal on the Sabbath? Here's the guy. Can you imagine? You can, you can, see, I love those. I, 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 said again, I don't know if you watch visual Bible stuff but it brings it to life because it, it's word for word Bible. I really like it. They show the man on there, whoever did this thing was definitely, I just believe was led by the spirit in, in doing these uh, videos because the guy, he goes, he looks like me, you're talking, and he draws back and he pulls his hand in his cloak. Like, hey, don't pick on me. Because they just pick, picked him out of the crowd because he had a sickness. And Jesus said, what is, he said, uh, who of you, who of you having a, a sheep would fall into a pit on the Sabbath wouldn't reach in and pull it out? Every one of you in this room would. So therefore, it's right to do good on the Sabbath. And he said, watch what he said. Sir, there's animosity all through the room. They're exploiting the man. There's zero love. Do you understand? Do you understand in the room there's zero love? except for him. That's right, John. And love covers all that stuff. So Jesus says, he didn't even ask if he believed he could do it. He just said, sir, stretch forth your hand. And what? And immediately. So in the face of adversity, animosity, exploiting, trickery, trying to accuse before the goodness of God overcame it. And he said, sir, stretch forth your hand. What happened to the man's hand immediately? So it's authority and power through Jesus. That's what happened there, authority and power. It's amazing. Oh, I just want more and more of that kind. I was in a Walmart, and a lady's walking like this one time. 
She had a big knee thing on, big long brace on. And I said, hey girl, man, you messed up your leg. She said, oh, it's my knee. She said, but and she had a manager sticker on. And I said, wow. I said, listen, I said, this, I don't know, you, this might sound strange to you, but bear with me. She said, what, well, how can I help you? I said, well, just hold still a minute. I'm just gonna act like we're just gonna keep talking. I see your manager, I don't wanna put you on the spot. I'm not here to frustrate you or make you embarrassed. I wanna pray for your knee without making a scene. She said, huh? I said, it's okay. And she said, well, I said, no, no, nobody will even know. I just wanna pray right now. I said, Father, thank you for your love for her. And I just began to pray, boldly just took it. I thought, if she thinks I'm nuts, she thinks I'm nuts. It just didn't matter to me. And I'm praying because I'm trusting God's gonna do something. And never touched her. She was totally off page. When she's looking at me and I'm praying, she's looking at me like, you're cuckoo. That's how she's looking at me. Like, what is wrong with you? And it was a beautiful scene because she's standing there giving me these eyes like, you, you ain't quite right. <laughs> and I just prayed and I said, honey, check your knee. I want you to take a couple steps. She took two steps like this and went, are you kidding me? What? I said, check it a little. What? Because now she's thinking I'm cuckoo. And that didn't seem to stop God's mercy. But it didn't seem to stop. It wasn't like God sat back and said, hmm, Dan's in a good place. He's rightly represent me, but she, she is, see, it's not works, it's grace. You know, she's off base, she's off track, she's not on page, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now watch, the more you minister that way, the more you start to grow in faith that way. You see what I mean? Because here's the scenario. Then you turn around, you go to church, and you got somebody that says they believe and says, pray for me, and it feels like we can't get the answer. You following? Does that ever drive your mind crazy? It tries to drive mine crazy. I just don't think enough to let it drive me crazy. <laughs> you following? Yeah. So you're saying that darkness just flees. It has no, when we get this right, and we know our identity and we walk there's a, it's called authority and that it's authority, it's the light that light the, the darkness just has to flee watch this because jesus knew who he was with his father and he just it just went perfect watch this go to john chapter one good good comment it's called authority it's it's so what's greater light or dark light. ye are the light of the world it's it's excellent what you're saying yeah it's exactly what i'm saying Watch this. John chapter one, the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's he talking about? The word. Who's the word? Yay. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Look what the life is. And the life was the light of men. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he breathes life back into you. Guess what the life is? The life is the light, okay? Now watch what the light does. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overtake it or comprehend it. Oh, who are we? The body of Christ. Go into the world, bam. So we got so much teaching on healing, so many reasons why men can't be healed and why we've gotten so technical. Some of us, it's been so technical. Some of us, 
have sat under so much teaching that says, well, they can't be healed if there's unforgiveness in their heart. They can't be healed if there's generational curses. You have to deal with that first. They can't be healed if there's unresolved. They can't be healed if there's unbelief. It's all lies. It has, it's, 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 there, there seems to be a truth there, but if you put your faith in all that, you're going to get so technical, you're going to put it onto them where they have to get their one, two, three, four, five in order before God can move, and you can't find that happening one time in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus just came and made it right, and then the ducks get in line. We've prayed for people. I've seen them. I see you, Jenny. Uh, uh, somebody if, get the mic to her. I, Oh, you have it. I, look, I've said, it was just powerful. We just got to move in that. And if we don't understand that, it's going to get technical. What? <laughs> you ought to be excited. It's, but this, if you really see what we're saying, it's, it's what will cause you to stop somebody and ask to pray. That's exactly what it should do. Now watch, now watch. This is, no, this is good. This is God. She's not out of order at all. Watch this. Now watch. Watch. These, now watch this. These signs shall follow. That's the exact way it should make us feel. Watch. These signs will follow those that. What's the first sign? Healing? They will. The first sign is they will what? lay their hands on the sick. The fact that we're not stopping the sick to lay hands on them reveals we don't believe. How's that? Are you following? The fact that we're not just stopping the sick to lay hands on them reveals we don't believe. Because the first sign of a believer is get your hands on the sick. You, if you believe, you'll, have, you'll put your hands on the sick. That's before healing. But we have so many issues with healing that it's causing unbelief and we won't even put our hands out there to reveal that we don't believe. So when you fail to lay your hands on the sick, you're actually confessing, I, I don't believe. <laughs> I know that's a straightforward word. <laughs> but see, we're just thinking too much. We gotta get our hands on the sick. Now it doesn't mean we don't believe Jesus heals, what it means is we have issues with ourselves and him healing through us. It doesn't mean that we don't believe he heals. Right, that's right, right. You can believe Jesus heals, but never lay hands on the sick. Why? Because you're not got the revelation of your own birthright, your own inheritance. What's happening in her heart is, this is my privilege. This is my birthright. This is, you know what I mean? So you lay hands on the sick. We get so caught up. Here's the stuff we do. Well, wonder if God doesn't show up. Wonder if he doesn't heal. Wonder, and we got all these things that, are uncertain now that confirm there's no belief. Are you following me? Yes. We've, we've taught ourselves in such a jam in the church that when people come to altar, an altar minister could be standing there because of their background and teaching, the person that's sick comes and we are listening to them and the more they talk and share, the more we have reason to believe they're not going to be healed because of the way they're talking. They got a little fear. Wow, I hear unbelief in that. Well, man, they shouldn't be confessing that. No wonder they're hurt. And listen to how they think. And then all of a sudden, you're, you got strikes against them. And you already got reasons in your heart why they might not get healed. But you pray anyway because you're in that position. And it's the Christian thing to do. 
<sighs> and then we pray and, and just say, well, no wonder they didn't get healed because, but you just allowed what they don't see to determine what you do see. And it subverted the authority that's in your spirit in Jesus' name. I tell some people, don't ask too many questions. Don't inventory too much. Because the more natural knowledge you have, then you have to believe through all that. Sometimes you don't need to know anything. You know what I'm saying? You say, well, what's wrong with you? Well, how did this? Well, where did, man, when did that happen? And then you start all this teaching. Wow, I bet this is connected and this might go back. And I bet there's some kind of, now you're more mysterious and trying to detectively figure out all this stuff instead of just be healed because of the love of God. You follow me? Okay, you girls got the mics. There's stuff churning here in the room. So that's. Right, I have a quick question and Sherry has one. Um, Going and approaching somebody, okay? Mm-hmm. We have the Great Commission, okay? We've, we've been taught so many different things. and you, it's, God bless you. We're just dumping it because we're simplifying it. What it's, is simple? It's the wisdom of this is you want to be, when you approach somebody, respectable. I've heard so many people teach, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the Great Commission is the Holy Spirit. It's just... It's, it, the Word it is Spirit and Life, okay? so yeah. We have what I believe, what I believe is divine go, so that covers it. It truly does. Do you understand what she's saying? Watch. Let me, I'll let you finish. Watch. I need to teach this real quick. You know, stay up. I'm not going to be long with this. The Holy Spirit might highlight somebody in a setting to you. You might be walking down the street and there's a hundred people on the street and somebody might highlight to you. And that's great when that happens. But all hundred people on the street, you have the privilege to love. You already have the yes and the go. You don't need led by the Spirit to people the word already leads you to the people. You follow? Go ahead. Did you? Did you? you answer the second part. Oh, okay. So in other words, do you see what we're saying? Who knows I could be in a restaurant and all of a sudden somebody, I just get an impression for somebody. And that's the spirit of God highlighting someone. That's awesome. That's fun when that happens. But if you only wait for that and only move when that happens, you're going to miss the privilege of loving people all along the way. Because it's God's will that you love them and pray for how many sick? The sick. What city? Whatever. Whatever city, the sick. So the Lord already told you to go and do that. You don't need a leading of the Spirit. We have fun sometimes at Power and Love. There was a couple of Power and Loves we did. We just bought a bunch of little fishing sinkers and split shots because they're made of lead. And we put them in the people's pockets. And we said, if you have trouble feeling lead, reach in your pocket. After you squeeze that, go pray for the sick. See, and some people think that's insulting because we're like, well, yeah, but I'm only doing what, you know, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do and said what he heard. But Jesus is the Father revealed. So if Jesus said it, the Father's saying it. So if Jesus said go, what's the Father saying? Go. Go. If Jesus said whatever city you're in, heal the sick, what's the Father saying right now? Whatever city you're in. So you have the privilege to pray for the sick. However, Holy Spirit will instigate, inspire, and highlight people at times. But we're not just waiting for that. See, I talk to Christians that have had a neat thing happen in public, and it becomes their testimony, and they ride the wave of that. And, and then you meet them a year later, and they're still bringing up what God did a year ago, and they're still waiting for another phenomenal encounter. And a whole year went by and they're riding that wave. When there could be so many things that have happened from that year that you couldn't recall. 
because you just stepped forward in love. Go ahead, Sherry. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you were in Matthew 17 and, and you were talking about the mustard seed, the, um, the faith of mustard seed can move a mountain, and the last verse 21 says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That sounds like an exception that you have to. Right, well, I'm getting there. I didn't get there yet. I will. We will totally answer that question. Thank you. You're reading out ahead of me, student. <laughs> You're awesome. Love you. No, it's funny. She's checking this out. But no, we're working our way to there. Yeah. We're working our way to there because it does sound like an exception. It sounds like a proviso. It sounds like fine print on the bottom of a contract or something. But who knows that's not Jesus. There's no catches, right? So, so we're going to cover that. Good. That's, no, that's an excellent observation. It's actually a good comment. Okay, so... You got to understand that verse 20 was written because 19, the question was asked. Think about this. I want you to take your time with your Bible. Don't be in a hurry and read your Bible so you can quote it. You don't want to quote your Bible. You want to become what it says. So quoting your Bible is not our priority. Understanding it is our priority. So, so when, you, when you read verse 20, you know that verse 20 is being spoken because 19, they ask a humble question, didn't they? Come on, if you were those nine disciples and you're praying with all your heart sincerely, who's ever prayed for the sick sincerely and didn't see them healed? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> you see the emotion in me about that? That right there can be a problem. Because my head gets in the way, my feelings are Todd and I are so funny. We're like, we grunt and snort at each other when we're praying for the sick if they're not being healed. <laughs> We're down, we're down praying for their feet and they're up there. He's like, dude, we need so much more of Jesus. Just stop, just stop. Jesus is in us. Ah, yeah. ah, ah. I'm telling you, just ah. sometimes it gets me. And the more you focus on that, you need more of Jesus, the more you feel like you don't have enough of him. So, you know, Jesus is enough. So there's a place where your mind just gets involved. Who knows what I'm saying? Your mind gets involved. And that's what he's addressing here. Watch. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because, this is a straight up amazing answer, because of your, whose? The disciples. He didn't say anything else, guys. I'm so glad he didn't. He keeps this thing so simple. Because if he said other things, now we got big picture stuff. But you got to get it narrow it down. It's a narrow door. It's narrow. It's narrow. Because of your unbelief. You can't even bring into this and say, well, that was in this situation. But there could be other exceptions. If you can't find them illustrated, don't create them. Hello? Don't make exceptions if you can't find them illustrated through the life of Jesus. Don't say, well, that doesn't mean there can't be times where it was just the person's unforgiveness. I have watched more people than I can recall get healed and cry because they were healed because their heart and life came up in front of them after they were healed because the goodness of God went <gasps> and exposed and they brought them to repentance. And, and I've had people literally confess the sorry condition of their heart after they were healed. And they're already healed. Oh, that sure beats trying to deal with everything in front of it 
so that you have an out when you go to pray, well, we must have missed something. Well, that's technical and method. That's not even faith and love. Well, we must have missed something. No, Jesus said it's finished. He didn't miss anything. We're missing something. It's his love. Well, I must have missed something. There must still be something there. The fact that we're thinking that way is because we're technically just taking it away from the finished work and the authority and it already reveals that we're not moving in what he's teaching right here. Did he address the Father and the Son at all? He's talking to his disciples. Watch this. Why couldn't we? See, this makes people so offended nowadays because people say, well, don't tell me I didn't have faith because we've hurt each other. Well, if you had faith, you'd be healed. Well, you need to just get more faith than you can receive. You just got to believe, brother. We put it on each other, right? I'm telling you, the sick folks can look at us just as quickly and say, well, where's your faith? You're telling me you know Jesus. Please give him to me. How easy is it for me to pray for Jesse and then Jesse doesn't receive and I say, well, buddy, you need to just get along with God and find out what's going on in your heart, your life and just get faith because he loves you. He wants to heal you. Just get faith, man. That is such a cop-out. You show me one person Jesus prayed for, didn't see the result, and then said, man, you know what? If you can get faith, you can be healed. Go get some faith. He's not even addressing the sick person. He's addressing his ministers. Because the sign follows the... It doesn't have anything to do with the sick person. But if you believe it does, thanks Sue, I see you. If you believe it does, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna put a ceiling over you. You're, you're gonna miss what verse 21, what her question was asking. You're gonna miss what that's addressing. So let me move on with this. Because of your unbelief, some Bibles might say little faith, right? Yeah, you can read the message. Yeah, just read, just read, don't read the whole verse, just read that part right there, what it says about because of your unbelief, that first sentence. The simple truth is, oh wait, let me back up a little bit here. You're not taking God seriously. Oh yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw that in the message before Todd showed me that one day, he was reading and he went, dude, look at this. <laughs> I said, oh. It's because of your unbelief. So his answer is four words because of your unbelief. Has nothing to do with the dad, has nothing to do with the kids, has nothing to do with the generations, has nothing to do with the condition of their hearts, has nothing to do with nothing over this way. He's talking to his own guys who he anointed, who he gave authority, who he released to do this thing. He said, it's what you guys are failing to see. That's what that means, the unbelief. He's not saying, well, you guys just don't have faith. He's not being crude. He's not being offensive. He's not doing what we've done to each other. Well, I wonder why they died. Because they didn't have faith. They didn't have, if they had faith, they wouldn't have died. Their, their son wouldn't have died if they had faith. That is so, don't you talk to people ever like that. <laughs> because you will be held, God would, God would hold you the way you judge, you'll be judged. Well, the, the hot shot, if you had faith, why didn't you go over there and get the boy up? You don't put it on a family. God's put it on his people, his body. Who knows that I'm called to the privilege of faith? 
But if you hold me to that and don't give me your faith in a situation where I need it, how can the sick ever ask for prayer if it's just about everybody's individual faith? Is any among you sick? Is he talking about anybody in the world or is he writing to the church in James? The church, is anybody among you sick? Is there anybody sick? Let them call for help. Why? Because whatever you're standing on and believing, it's not happening. I've got issues here that aren't going away. Let them ask for prayer and have the elders pray. That means the maturing ones, the believing ones, the ones that are in the Lord for a season, maybe longer than than you've been, whatever. It, It doesn't mean office of elder. It means the maturing, growing ones in the Lord. Let them pray over him, anointing him with all the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. So that's a promise. So is it the will of God to heal? Yeah, or he wouldn't be asking the sick to ask for prayer. He's not playing charades. He's not saying ask for prayer and I'll see if I decide to do it. It's not even about God deciding to do it. He has already made himself clear through the cross and resurrection of his son. We just read in Corinthians last week, he's yes and amen on the matter. Was he a yes and amen to the epileptic boy? But was he healed? But he was yes and amen. Did God choose not to heal? So we have the privilege of representing God's heart, God's will, and God's kingdom, and we need to know him because those that know their God do great exploits. Not those that read their Bible and take a crack at it. Come on, this thing is all about sellout, integrity, honor, humility, surrender. It's all about living by the Spirit. Because of your unbelief, that's, that's the problem, unbelief. It has to go back to perverse thinking. You perverse, corrupt, perverse thinking, corrupted-minded people. What's he saying? The fall of man sure got into your heads. And you've lost sight of who you are because of me. If you knew who you were because of me and my sake being here, if you understood your identity because I am here, if you knew who you were because of me being here, this boy would be healed. You're losing sight of who you are now that I've come. You're reverting back to mere men. You're seeing yourself in some other eye. That's amazing. Identity is huge. This is Jesus talking. I take it so serious. There's no other, there's no other response to their question. Because of what you're failing to see is really what he's saying. Isn't he? And then he flips it. There's a semicolon in your Bible, probably. It says, because of your unbelief or little faith, semicolon, right? And then he shifts right into an answer because he's answer conscious, isn't he? He says, for assuredly, or your Bible might say truly. This is for sure. You can, you can take this one to the bank. Jesus says, for assuredly, I say to who? To you. Yeah, is he talking to the dad and the boy? He's talking to his men, isn't he? For shortly I say to you if, who? Oh my goodness, it has nothing to do with even God and his will right now. Oh my goodness, does it? If you, if you have faith. Do you hear the privilege in this? Do you hear this is worth going after and laying your life down for? Or you can get distracted and live menial and just kind of live half-hearted and kind of half in and half out. And, uh, 
God forbid we have to face so much loss that we either finally get serious or make up more reasons for the loss. You see what I'm saying? Because the loss is, who knows the loss is mounting? Who knows there's way too much loss? And the loss will do one or two things. It'll either drive you to him and his presence for answers and for more, or it'll cause you to rewrite a book that's already written and compromise the truth to encounter even more loss and have a grid for it to be able to somehow accept it even though we're not okay. That's the paradox, isn't it? Now watch. I know it's break time. I just really needed to get this done. Are you guys okay? Give me five or so minutes, five or so. (laughs) If you have faith, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Now he's talking about faith because he just told him because of your little faith. So the phrase little faith mustn't be equivalent to mustard seed faith. That's... You follow? Why wasn't he healed? Because of your little faith. But he just said, if you have a mustard seed, wasn't mustard seed little faith? No, he's talking about faith. The hope and realization of that hope. And then the evidence of what hasn't been seen yet. The knowing of God's will. The knowing of the yes and amen through Christ. Faith. In Mark 11, he says, have faith in God. He doesn't say, have faith in your faith, have faith in your prayer, have faith in your ability, have faith in your Bible knowledge, have faith in your fluent speech, have faith in God. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will what? You will. Who will? Who's he talking to? Believers. You will. So Jesse loses somebody, and he's been standing and standing, praying everything he could find in that Bible, and they, and, they, and they slip away. And he's sitting on his bed, and tears are rolling down his face, and he says, Jesus, I just need to know you more. Man, I'm just hurting. I mean, why? Why did I lose him? Why did I lose Billy? Such a good friend. Jesus slips up to Jesse and his presence comes on Jesse and comforts him and he says, Jesse, it's because of what you're failing to see. Isn't that an amazing response from Jesus? That's not offensive. That's not pressure. That means there's hope to see something clearer and more. Thank God his will's already settled. We're not trying to turn the, it's not like the old emperor movies, thumbs up, thumbs down. We're not praying over a person with cancer looking up wondering, I wonder if this is a thumbs up or a thumbs down situation. Thumbs are up. You got two thumbs up. Come on. And he sits and he wraps his arm around Jesse and he says, Jesse, buddy, it's just what you're failing to see. But truly, Jesse, I tell you this. Could you imagine him sitting beside Jesse and he takes his chin and his eyes are filled with tears and Jesus takes his chin and puts his chin, looks him right in the eyes. He says, Jesse, truly, I tell you this. Who knows if Jesus says truly, it's truly. He says, Jesse, if you see what I see, you will do what I do. And Jesse, nothing is impossible for you. Isn't that what he just said? (gasps) Is he talking to you? 
Now, if you take that serious or not is up to you. I could preach it till I'm blue in the face, but it's for you to take serious. It's for you to surrender your life to. Now, I'm not being over militant when I say that. What you do with Christ is what we'll all answer for. And I can lull myself to sleep. I can chuckle myself into a place and I can ignore the great privilege that he's talking about here. Kind of live half-hearted or I can go after this thing because I believe the honor that I have for Jesus. I believe this is a possible place. I believe this place is for us. Now watch. Because of your unbelief, that means what you fail to see. It, it means what goes through your mind that creates doubt. Self-consciousness, self-focus. Did I pray right? I wonder if that was the right thing to pray. All that stuff fits there. Watch. But if you have faith, Jesse, if you see what I see, you will say the mountain. You won't cry out to God in despair. You're not pleading and begging. In authority, do you see the authority of this? Do you see the lady in Walmart? Knee right now, you be healed in Jesus' name. Every pain come out. I walked her three aisles down to go in the aisle because she wanted to know how this is possible. She said, sir, this is freaky. How can this be? I said, I can explain it. What aisle are you heading to? I'm going down to, and we're just walking and I'm talking and now she's walking. She's got this big brace on and she's walking and she says, she goes like this, it doesn't hurt at all. And I said, no, I understand. You, you're like, you believed that was gonna happen. Well, I stopped you, didn't I? <laughs> I said to the man, when the man told me he didn't believe with a hand numb, I said, listen, friend, I believe, etc. And then he said, well, we laughed and talked and I had a good time with him because he was trying to escape me and there was no way to get out of it. To the point that even when he walked away, we believed and he still got healed. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. You wanna get in a place where he just can't get out of it. I, I said, Lord, when people walk away disgruntled, and say, get out of here, man. I don't even stop soliciting your religion. And they turn to walk away. I want to be in a place where I love them so much. I look at them and I say, be healed. And, they, and, they're, and in mid-stride with meanness in their heart, the ruptured disc disappears. Won't that change some things? It, wouldn't that be the goodness of God leading men to change? See, I could tell you a lot of neat stories about stuff like that where I've seen it, I've tasted it. I want it to not elude me. I want it to just be my everyday reality. But I got enough stories to not turn back. <laughs> I'm running so late, I am so sorry. I just wanted to finish this. You will say to the mountain, move, and the mountain will what? Will it move? It will. He didn't say maybe it'll move. He said it will move. So is the evidence of faith you speaking at a mountain or the mountain moving? Right. Wow. So if a mountain doesn't move, let's not be presumptuous and say, well, I'm in faith. Let's just say, God, keep taking me in deeper. God, I need to see you clearer. Lord, I feel a little pressed in this situation. Like I'm trying too hard. I feel like I'm striving. Whoever felt like they were striving, praying. Yeah. God, I need to back off and get a grip. And we'll teach on all that somewhere down the line. Move from here to there. So did Jesus say, if you say the mountain move with faith, it'll move? Yes. And what? Nothing. What? Nothing. What? Nothing. I wonder if that's a misprint. Because nothing's nothing. It doesn't say if God wills. It says if you see clear. Come on, this thing is so solid. 
God already wills. He sent his son. It's all about us seeing clear. And we're still rewriting a book that's already written. What did he say? Nothing? Is that in your Bible or does this just end up in mine? <laughs> Nothing will be impossible for God? Oh my goodness, for who? Does your Bible say that? Nothing's impossible for who? So Jesse, Jesus sitting on your bed telling you this is a reality. Because you're reading that sitting on your bed, he's talking to who? Is it possible? Is there a place for you to grow to where there's no limit? And as Jesus did, you do. Is that possible? And here's where it sounds like a provision. However, uh, however, however, this kind, is he talking about epilepsy? Can't possibly be talking about epilepsy. That's way back up there four verses ago. What are they talking about? What's the topic of conversation? Unbelief, perverse thinking, corrupted mindedness, the effects of the fall in our mind. What's the topic? Unbelief. Here's how you know he's not talking about epilepsy. If you only read Mark 9, you'll preach he's talking about epilepsy. But if you read the whole, the Paul Harvey version, the rest of the story, you'll find that he can't possibly be talking about the epilepsy because he just gave Jesse an unhinged, unlimited promise. Here's what he said. Jesse, if you see what I see, you will do what I do and nothing will be impossible for you, Jesse. Oh, wait, however, uh, wait. No, that's right. This spirit, he's a little tougher and yeah, he's a little more resistant. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's probably more than just believing. You'll probably have to do something if you're gonna cast him out. That's not what he's saying. When he said nothing, he meant nothing. Right? However, this kind, what kind? So here's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, look, I know the promise sounds great, and I know the sky seems to be the limit meaning no limit, right? Yeah, because the sky being the limit doesn't mean there's a limit. That means there's no limit because the sky, there's so many galaxies. The sky's the limit's not a bad phrase. I've heard people say, well, I don't even want the sky to be my limit. No, you do. (laughs) Because there's no limit to the sky. (laughs) Nothing shall be impossible for you, however, this kind. So he's saying, as great as this promise sounds, it will never be fulfilled in your life until you get this this potential of thinking through self-consciousness, flesh awareness, works, striving your own ability out of you. This thing that stumbled you from healing the epileptic boy, this thing that I addressed in your mind will not come out of you. This kind of unbelief is what I have circled in my Bible. If you see my Bible, I have, I have this kind circled unbelief in an arrow right here because of your unbelief. That's the answer to the question. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because of your unbelief. However, this kind of unbelief will not come out of your life unless you stay in a place of prayer and seeking God and fasting. And that's what we'll talk about in the second half a little bit. Make sense? He's talking about a mindset that's contrary to truth. Okay? Wow, I really stretched you. I'm disciplining your bladders today. Are you? I thought it was the power of God on some of you. (laughs) It's the power of bladder. Go get ministered to. (laughs) See you in a little.
Huh? Hiding verses at the bottom. Yeah. Well, thank God I said some translations leave out verse 21. Uh, you uh, don't be thrown by that. Uh, if they have it at the bottom, at least they have it at the bottom. Just don't take verses out. Amen. You'll find if you look in the original, it's there. God wants it there. He kept it there. Verse 20 is there in everybody's Bible, so that we can rejoice because that says nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21 is a real big help because he's talking about prayer and fasting. Hannah came up and asked me a real uh, straight question about this kind. I don't totally understand. Explain it more. And I thought, wow, that was a good question. So I want everybody to understand. When he says this kind, he's talking about a belief that empowers you to see yourself apart from him. An ability to see yourself apart from him. Any level of self-consciousness whatsoever. Who's the hope of glory that's inside of you? It's Christ. So Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it has nothing to do with your works. Who knows we've got trapped in works many times in many areas of our lives. Works is a zero. His work is already finished. So this kind of unbelief he's talking about is anything that that allows you to see yourself apart from what he accomplished and who you are because he's alive. You see what we're saying? So prayer and fasting takes you into that place. Uh, Do you notice he says prayer and fasting? Yeah, Yeah, that's really really amazing. Uh, Let me uh, just real quick look here. Thanks, Father. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. Let's look at Matthew 9 quick. Fasting is not a curse word, and it's not something that's just under the law. (laughs) Fasting is, is beautiful if you understand it. I know there's some things out there... I heard of something on the internet where somebody's saying, hey, it's the law and we're in the season of feasting, not fasting. And, and uh, but man, you need to really be careful with that kind of stuff, jesting like that and misappropriating it. The disciples of John, verse 14, Matthew 9, came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Well, when they were fasting often, they were fasting in what? In a realm of works. They were fasting to try to find themselves to be right with God. They're under the law. We don't fast to be right with God. We don't even fast to move God. God's already moved. You're not fasting to draw favor and find favor and get the hand of God to move. He's already, you found favor. He's already moved. Fasting has nothing to do with getting God to move. Fasting has to do with you seeing clear. Follow me? And the reason that happens is because we have a flesh voice that tries to rise up. Who, who hears things contrary to truth a lot in your head? Right? Who in your greatest encouraged moment still has the ability to hear something that's not so encouraging or think something not so... Who has the ability to look in a mirror and speak something good and at the same time hear a whisper it's not so good? True? 
You want that voice so crushed because that's the voice of a lie. That's the voice of yesterday. That's the voice that we all learned and earned through the fall in a sense. In other words, it came with the package of sin and self-consciousness. And in, uh, in Luke 18, a man said, uh, I'm glad I'm not like that man. I fast twice a week, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's a zero. After the man said all that, Jesus said, which one of these two went home justified? Surely not that man, right? This man, not that man. He thought because he fasted, it's what made him right. It's it's self-righteousness. Fasting doesn't make you right with God. The finished work of Jesus makes you right with God. You're already right with God. Watch what Jesus said about fasting in in Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not? Well, he wasn't putting his disciples under the law, but he wasn't removing the law in the sense of that they weren't under any law. The higher law is the law of love. If you, if you walk in love, you're gonna fulfill the whole law. All the law and prophets hang on love, right? He didn't come to erase the law. He, he came to fulfill the law. Who knows his disciples didn't have the ability to fulfill the law. So Jesus fulfilled the law for them and entered them into him. So they weren't fasting because fasting had nothing to do with the reason they fasted, had nothing to do with his disciples or the reason Jesus was here. Okay, now watch. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. Now watch, you gotta catch this because this sounds confusing. Did you ever see how Jesus talks off the wall, it seems, sometimes? Oh, he's amazing. Because he says, goes right into two analogies. He says, no one, he's revealing the power of fasting and the purpose of it right here. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch, What? pulls away from the garment and the tear is made even worse nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins new wine he's a new and living way he's bringing a new testament new covenant to men they're wondering why his guys aren't doing the same old thing they've always done why aren't your disciples fasting like we fast well because you're still doing the old thing and I've come to bring the new and when they do it it'll be in a new way for a new reason we're not going to slap on the old and tie it to the new because it's not going to hold we're not pouring old way of thinking into brand new wineskins We're not going to pour in old perspectives and old motivations and old legalistic mentalities and old things into something brand new. But in that day, they will fast. That means the fasting and the reason for fasting is going to be brand new. They fasted to be qualified. They fasted for self-righteous reasons. Look at Isaiah 58 real quick with me. I mean, it just sounds off the wall. He says, then they, he didn't say, he said, then they, what? Will fast. 
In that day, they what? Will fast. Now, I'm not being legalistic. You guys know my heart, hopefully, by now. I'm saying Jesus is saying it's not even an option. It's part of kingdom living. It's, it's part of a reality that we embrace because of the benefit and blessing of getting free from ourselves. He said, in that day, they what? Will. Will. <laughs> so, I understand the whole feasting thing, but there's also fasting. <laughs> it just is. Watch this. I know I turned you to Isaiah 58, but look at Matthew 6. You can just, I can quote it for you. Uh, thank you, God. He talks about giving Charitable deeds, praying, verse 16. He's talking about principle not to do it, to be seen by men. When you're fasting to be seen by men, you're just trying to get people to think you're spiritual because you need encouraged in the fact that you are. How's that for straight? (laughs) You don't need to fast openly. You, You wash your face and you fast. Nobody even knows you're fasting. Why? Because it's before the Lord and the benefits are within yourself and they're within your own mind. It has nothing to do with finding favor with God. You've already found favor. It's nothing to do with making yourself more right with God. You're as right as you could ever be. The blood speaks on your behalf. Right? But watch this. Verse 16. Moreover, if you fast, does it say that? What's it say? Oh my goodness, when you fast, not if you fast. (laughs) Pick up on those words. Because in 1 John 2, it doesn't say when you sin, it says if you sin. There's differences. Here we are thinking sin is a habit and fasting is a law. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say when you sin and if you fast. He says if you sin and when you fast. We got it so backwards, it's amazing. I feel like I'm a good teacher today. (laughs) Is that good, Randy, or what? Come on. Think with me how twisted up our believing in doctrine has gotten over the years. we've, We've made fasting something optional and sin absolutely. We're not thinking for sin, we're thinking for the kingdom and because we're thinking for the kingdom, we understand why we're fasting and fasting is a given because we want more of him. <laughs> Look, if he said, however, this kind of unbelief, this kind of, of, of failing to see because of what's going on in the mind it's not gonna come out of you except by prayer and fasting. That means the benefit of fasting is you're gonna see clear, understand, and come to the knowledge of truth. So fasting has nothing to do with a legality. It has to do with a revelation. It has to do with faith rising up. It has to do with seeing what you're entitled to see and getting away the fog, the clouds, the cobwebs, the self-consciousness. Fasting gets you to live, Linda, by the Spirit. Amen? There's this war, it says, that's contrary 
to, to, it's the spirit and the flesh. And at the end of the chapter in Galatians 5, it says, and these things are so you don't do what you ought. Why? Because no one's self-made. Their ingenuity's not enough. You're not a self-made man. You're dependent on Christ. You're in Christ. You live by Christ. With him, we can do anything. Without him, we're nothing. You're not, you're not called to live by the flesh. You're called to live by the spirit. And, and God doesn't, doesn't just, just, just go and just... No, he lets us work out our salvation and, and fear and reverence to God and, and come to the knowledge of truth. And it, it has to do with the heart. We're not puppet robot Christians. We're people full of heart. We're willingly his children. It's not a Christian mandate. We're in love. Hello? It's not the Christian thing to do is why I live the way. I'm in love. My wife is out of town for 21 days. She left me. It's a long time. I'm, I am okay. Barely. No, I'm okay. She just takes such good care of me. Oh my goodness, she's incredible. When she leaves, I really realize how good care of me she takes. But I'm thinking, she, she, she feeds me. She cooks so ridiculously good, and she always has so much food there, and I'm like, stop. <laughs> but then I eat. <laughs> I said, no wonder I run six miles a day. I'm married to you. <sighs> I come home from Colorado. She has a fresh jug of picked mint tea. I love mint tea. She has it in the freezer or fridge. She has a fresh blackberry pie. She just ran out and picked them right before I come home and baked the pie. What a girl. And she has a zucchini casserole dish there. It's my favorite. Waiting for me, welcoming me home. And I'm like, oh, all this good food. But she's, don't bother. The fridge is so empty. It's hilarious. But I'm thinking she's away and what God's been stirring because I'm in a marriage with her. When I fast for long times, it's challenging for her. She likes to bless me. She doesn't eat the same. She doesn't know how to cook. She's used to cooking for me. So when I fast, it actually challenges her too. And she would have to feel like she'd have to fast with me, I guess. But she just kind of, but, but, but she's away. And you know what rose up in my heart? I thought, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna fast. So I'm just going to probably go on a fast, and who cares how long I fast? I'm just going to fast. You see what I mean? And it's just a good time for it because there's so much grace as far as with my marriage and Kim and, and all that. And, but isn't that neat that that's what came up on my heart when she's away? I'm thinking, what a good time frame to just fast. For years in February, I just shut down in the beginning of February and just fast. It just seems like a good month. I, I don't run in February usually because the weather's so crazy and it's just a good time when I'm running regular. I don't go on long fast because I, I, I have a real grace to stay in a regular place of exercise running. I just live by temperance. I live in temperance. Who knows what I mean by that? Self-control so I don't indulge. I don't, I don't go excessive. To me, there's a, there's a, there's a health in that. Uh, there's some people are, 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 I believe temperance is one of the greatest things we can embrace. And you don't have to live in fear, just live in temperance. 
Just be self-controlled. Just eat in moderation. Just don't eat more than you need to. Just don't splurge and indulge. And look, how, look at our society. Two for one, all you can eat. More for your buck, king size, extra double super whopper size. Look how we're geared our whole life. More for less, more, 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 more. Feed me. Serious. It's, it's, it's the mentality we're raised in. And it's on purpose. To where all of a sudden you're living to eat instead of eating to live. There's a shift. And you become more, you don't realize this, you become more sensual, driven, more flesh conscious, more nurturing and pampering yourself than seeking the Spirit. There's a trap there you don't understand. It's not legalistic stuff I'm talking right now. Most people are geared to not even want to hear what we're talking about. But if Jesus told his disciples, there's something going on in your mind that's hindering what's in your spirit, what, what I've given you, and it won't come out of you except by prayer and fasting. Now, that's not a works thing. It's a place to suppress the carnal nature, the cry of the flesh. Most addictive habits, most compulsive behaviors can be crushed in a simple three-day water fast. But because the compulsion's there, we won't address it with a fast because the compulsion's more alive than our desire to break it. But I promise you, if you really want to break things, a fast and getting into a supernatural spirit-led fast where, where, where you're trusting God's grace. Like God taught me when I go into a fast years ago. I said, I want to understand fasting. I started seeing it in my Bible. And I said, I didn't read no books on it or anything. I asked the Lord to teach me how to fast. And he, and he taught me how to fast. And I don't go through all the symptoms that people talk about and the shakes and the headaches and the whole, I really don't. I, I'm geared to fast. Like the month of February, I would just shut down and fast. And you wouldn't know I'm fasting except for halfway through. You say, boy, you look thin. And then people get, well, you look pretty thin. And we all, we're so flesh self Are you sure you're okay? You're getting really thin, but I hope you're okay. I was fasting for a lot, and I had some people surround me at church where I pastored some administrators and people that loved me. They, they, three of them came in my office and surrounded me and said, we just want to talk to you. You're really thin. I said, thin's good. <laughs> What's up? But you just look thinner than you should. I said, what are you talking about? it's like everything is so cool Jesus is crystal clear crackling in my life I'm like yay (laughs) but they're like be careful we're worried about you it's amazing how we get probably was doing better than ever (laughs) serious better than ever I want you to see this. When you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites and do it to be seen and known. They disfigure their faces, appear to men to be fasting. They want people to know. People, there's people out there, you know, you know, man, I just came off of a fast. Really? How long did you fast? Well, 12, 12 days, man. Did you ever fast 40? I fasted 43 times. See, that's a zero. Just in that language, if you understood the awesomeness, the blessing, the gift, the humility of fasting, that can't even be in your language. 
That's a zero. That has nothing to do with fasting. <laughs> I learned that the hard way because I've been doing a lot of fasting over the years and I was fasting out. I don't talk numbers anymore, but I was fasting out past where I'd ever gone. And I was so geared. You have no idea. I was pumped. I was like, I'm going to fast for eternity. <laughs> and, and, and I got out there and it was... I was on the day of the longest fast I had ever done. And I walked in the bathroom and was cleaning up, brushing my teeth, doing whatever, ready to go into the next day. And I'm like, whoa, I'm on that day. Tomorrow's another day. Another day on my checklist, right? And I'm pumped. You couldn't tell I was fasting. I was wired. I wasn't like hamburger. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was like zzzz. And the Lord said, hey, Dan. Yeah. And I, I think I was ready to brush my teeth or something. I was getting ready for bed. And he's like, if you fast past today, it'll be completely for nothing. And I went, huh? What? What do you mean? You've lost sight of what you're doing and why. Your motivation shifted. He said, you need to break your fast right now. It's become too important time instead of why. And I went, but Lord, he said, the fact that you'd yell but me says everything. Break your fast. I started bawling because I yell butted God. Do you think God knows what he's saying? I was just like when I was a teenager and my dad or mom told me something. They knew what they were telling me and I'm a teenager and I yell but them as if I know. Does any of us ever do that as a teenager? Your parents are telling you what they know is right and you're yell butting because you're a teenager and you think you know. I yell butted God. And he said, real quick as a father, the fact that you yell but me says everything. I fell down, knelt, cried, ran right down, <laughs> diluted a little bit of juice, and <laughs> broke the fast. <laughs> I didn't want nothing to do with it. I bawled. And I started to realize I sat on my bed then and left him father me a little. And here's what he said He said, Dan, you lost such sight of it. You just got into time frame and fasting for a period of time as if that's what's important. The why behind your fast is all I want. That's all that matters. Whether it's a day, a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, it's irrelevant. It's the why behind it that brings benefit, not how long you're fasting. It shifts into a work. He said, Dan, if I, if I wouldn't bring this stuff to your attention, you'd be so trapped in pride. He's telling me this on the bed. He said, you'd be in a conversation. Somebody would say, they fast X amount of time. And in your heart, you would say, wow, well, I fasted this. Well, so what? Well, you give me a trophy now? World's greatest faster or something? I don't know. What are we doing? Are you going to give me a medal? You see how we lose track of what we're doing and why? Fasting has nothing to do with you being an amazing faster and how long you're fasting. Fasting has to do with subduing the carnal tendency, flesh, and nature of man. Fasting has to do with suppressing the cry of the flesh, pampering and nurturing the flesh. Isn't that why we don't go out of our way sometimes to bless and help because it's too painful? We don't have time, self-preserving, self-protecting, self-conscious, fear of man, all that stuff entails. Look, I'm tired, I just wanna go home, I don't really wanna stop and pray. 
And you justify it because, hey, I don't have to pray for everybody. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. But you don't realize there's some subtleties there where we might be pacifying the flesh instead of building our spirit. Who cares if I'm tired if they need Jesus? There's a place to get that way. Who cares if I'm hurting right now if I see they're really hurting? Who cares what it costs me if they can have life? There's a place where fasting will put that militancy in you, where your flesh won't have the voice that it's had most of our lives. <laughs> How I feel, what I think, has a lot to do with the flesh. So the Lord taught me, I was in my bedroom and I said, please teach, you know how the disciples said, teach us to pray? I saw prayer and fasting in there and I said, please teach me to fast. I want you to teach me to fast. And because uh, he had put me on a three-day fast and just shut me down. Remember how David Hogan said he just totally shuts off? Doesn't drink any water or food. That's like medically, scientifically, that is the biggest no-no on the planet. Your body's not made for that. Without food, you can live a long, long time. Most Americans think they'll die in a day. <laughs> honestly, most Americans honestly, truly think that if you don't eat for three or four days, that's like starvation and you're gonna die. Your body's designed. It actually shuts down and it goes in. It's like some people say, well, I'll, I, I just do a juice fast. Well, that's a real challenge doing a juice fast because you constantly keep hunger activated and you're constantly fighting hunger on a juice fast. If you just do water, you shut down your hunger. After a couple of days, your body goes into a mode called shutdown. It goes into a survival mode, clean house, shutdown. Your body, your cells search out everything that's foreign, everything that's not good. Uh, things that don't need to be in there that you might be concerned are in there. Right? It's just a house cleaning time. Your organs get to rest. You're not processing food. Everything's like... And your body will actually search. There's tumors. It's proven fact. I don't know why we don't administer this thing medically, the fasting more. There's tumors that'll disappear if you go on a long enough fast. Your body will just eat them. I had a thing growing on the back of my leg just for years. It didn't, it wasn't nothing. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't cancerous. It was just a growth. It had a name, like a little keloid, a little whatever, whatever it was called. The first long fast that went on, it just disappeared. My body just devoured it. Just came right off my leg. Just said, ooh, you're excess tissue. We're, we, we, we're, we're looking for nourishment right now. We'll just eat you. <laughs> my body just ate the thing right off my leg. Didn't belong there. It wasn't part of me. So my body said, anything not part of you, we're getting rid of. The reason people get a little feverish sometimes is, and, and weak and little because your body's cleansing and cleaning and taking out toxins and things. And so you usually drink a lot of water and eat no food. That's, that's a fast. In the wilderness, Jesus hungered after 40 days. It didn't say thirst. He hungered. If you don't drink water, your body in the natural would shut down quickly. And, and without food and water, it's, it's not a long time. Unless God supernaturally. So David's in a place of faith where he just wants to so subdue the need of flesh and man and so wants to submit. Do you hear his heart in that? I so want to submit to the supernatural power of God in my life that I'm willing to cross natural laws believing God will sustain me. I so want to live in the supernatural. That's his heart in that. That's not something you do unless you really see that. And, and, but one day the Lord got my attention years and years ago. He said, I want you to stop eating or drinking until I tell you. And I went, and I was like, 
that was God. I didn't think it was the devil. I wasn't like, that's a stranger. I rebuke you. You're trying to kill me. <laughs> I knew it was God. He just spoke in a way where I knew it was God. So I shut down. I didn't eat or drink for three days, nothing. I was totally fine. Nobody knew I was doing it. And I was heading home for supper that evening. Uh, at supper time, I mean not for supper, at supper time. And the Lord said, when you get home, I want you to join your family and, and eat. And I said, Lord, what was going on the last three days? Why did I do that? He said, I just wanted to get your attention so you live a fasted life. And he started to speak to me about temperance and not overindulging and just living in a moderate place. And I went, wow, cool. To get my attention to do that, he shut me down completely. And then he just, so I obeyed him. I reaped the benefit of that. Didn't tell anybody. Because you tell people, they go, this is what people do. He didn't drink water for three days? That's not healthy. So you run into paradoxes with that because people care. And I knew Jesus told me, but I don't do that. When I fast, I just drink water. I don't eat. The reason is you don't want to trigger hunger. You can take a breath wimp with two grams of sugar and trigger hunger and break your fast. Because your body goes, oh, yeah, that's right. We used to eat. He's feeding me. And ain't no food coming. You just put a sugar-filled breath mint in your mouth and you trigger hunger. Probably the biggest challenge in a, in a fast is the first couple days is hunger. After about the third day, normally, maybe up to four or five, depends on your body and how much you've fasted, hunger will go away. The only thing that'll come is a habit hunger every once in a while. I was out in around two weeks fasting. The first time I was out about two weeks, I swore I smelled cheeseburger sub. I love cheeseburger sub. And I started to dream about a cheeseburger sub and it was, I saw it. It was a vision. It was my mind. It wasn't the spirit. And I smelled it. It was so real, I thought I broke my fast. I was like, I think I just ate that thing. Did I, 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 was that real? One day, a piece of pizza was hovering right in front of me. You have no idea. It was habit hunger. It was my body saying, hello, do you remember me? You remember how that tastes? And I'd be like, <laughs> so habit hunger would come, but technically you get into a fast over a week, your body, you're not even thinking of hunger. Into the second week, most people that understand fasting go into it with the right heart and have fasted at all. It's a 100% effort to come off of the fast. Your body's in a groove. You're not walking every day going, oh my God, I need to eat. I see people fasting in there. They're saying, oh my God, I've been on a fast and wouldn't you know they had chicken and, or they had this or they had it. I'm thinking we don't understand what we're doing. We're just suffering our bodies. It's not, if you're fasting and you're just saying, oh my God, I'm fasting today and they got the men's breakfast. Duh, what a tough day to fast. God, get me through. I would say just go to the men's breakfast and eat. Because <laughs> you've lost sight. You don't understand why you're fasting. The benefit of fasting far outweighs the pleasure of eating breakfast. And if it's a thing where I could serve you food when I'm fasting because of what I understand, I could make you supper and put it on your plate the whole time. And it's not a challenge because you understand why you're doing it. It's not about abstaining from food. It's seeking the things of the Spirit. Do you understand? It's not just I'm on a fast, I can't eat now. Oh my God, I wish I could, two for one. God, I hope that sale comes back next week. 
See, if you're thinking that you're fasting for wrong reasons. I'm just being straight. It's not about that. John, you have it? And I can't cover all this today, but I'm just throwing some things out with fasting. It's a quick question. Can, is it something that you need to be led into, or could you just in your desire to seek the Lord just say, as I'm sitting here, say, you know what, today I want to fast? Absolutely, you have that privilege, absolutely, 100%. And people say you have to be led into a fast. You can be led into a fast. The Lord told me to shut down for those three days. The Lord's told me one time to fast a week, a month, for seven months. Uh, there was different commissionings of fasting that he did. My one time he told me to fast for three months. I ate a meal a day and drank a glass of water at lunchtime. That was all I did. And I worked and ran five miles a day and worked a schedule and drank one glass of water and ate a sandwich and a light meal at lunch. That was all I did for three months. That's humanly impossible. You would dehydrate and die. It's, too, too, it's not enough intake. It's not even enough liquid to substantiate your body. But the Lord had me do that for three months and then told me to stop, and I didn't lose a pound. And right when that was over, my church came and asked me to step on pastorally, and I didn't see that coming, and I told him no. And the third time they asked me, my pastor said, have you even prayed about this? I said, I haven't even thought about it. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm a warehouse worker in love with Jesus. <laughs> and, and then it ended up that the Lord told me I was supposed to do it, and I've been kind of in that position ever since. But right before that happened, he had me on a three-month, one meal a day, a cup of water, and I'd go work in a warehouse that was between 90 and 100 because it was metal roofs and no air conditioner, and I ran five miles every day. Do you know how much more you lose running five miles than a glass of water? When I run, when I run five to six miles on a scale... Because I run hard. I run under seven minute miles. I try to run six and a half at least right now, minute miles. Some days I'm feeling really pumped or Jesus will speak something special to me and I'm extra motivated and I really cruise. But I lose five pounds on the scale. If I get on a scale before I run and after I run, it's five pounds difference when I'm done running six miles. It's true. I've been doing it for years. It's five pounds difference. Now you imagine doing that and then drinking one glass of water and then going to work for 10 hours, four days a week and running every day and drinking one glass of water and eating and shutting down everything else the rest of the time. It was totally supernatural. God led me to do that. I don't, I'm not a nutrition guy. I don't study all that stuff. When you talk about carbs and all that stuff, I really, honestly, I'm 49, but I really don't know what you are talking about. I know they're on the labels. I've never looked into them, studied them, don't understand it, and sometimes want to stay free from all that stuff because I see people get so complexed and so I just, I like staying free from all that stuff. <laughs> I just live. <laughs> I live temperate. I live in temperance. People have knowledge. I see around, I'll just get you. People have knowledge of this, all this nutritional health stuff. I'm not against it. I just, I don't know. Some people that I see that are so conscious of it don't feel as good as the people that don't know nothing. Sometimes it might even get you up here. And there was one time the Lord told me I ate too much sugar and he pointed out an area in my life and I said, wow. And I just stopped. That was simple. That doesn't mean that I need to look into a whole bunch of stuff. 
So I live temperate. I'm just talking how I live. I'm not telling you I'm right. It's where my conscience is. It's where my faith is. I just know this. Most people have the capacity to read an article that says this preservative this and this causes this and then you get afraid because you ate it your whole life. And I don't know how to get afraid because I ate it my whole life. I thank God that if it wasn't for the gospel, I'd probably die. And I thank God that he's kept me. And I chucked the article. (laughs) I don't go to the prayer line and ask for cleansing. That's to say you're vulnerable to the natural knowledge instead of the gospel. Vulnerability is fear, by the way. So uh, hang on, Ron, just for a sec. So I want you to see something here. You have the right, John's question, you have the right to fast because you want to. But you have to fast for the reason to suppress the things of flesh and grow in the things of spirit to get your mind in a place where you're seeing, you're reading, it's coming alive. God, I want to know you more. Thank you for illuminating me. I thank you, Lord. I am just bringing discipline into my life. I'm not indulging in the flesh. I want to grow in the things of the Spirit. And this kind, this ability to see apart from you is being removed from my life. I'm seeking after you. So it's not just fasting, it's prayer and fasting. So your prayer in the midst of fasting is a powerful place, even more so than just prayer alone. Because you're tuned in, you're dialed in. It's a higher place of prayer. I believe the combination of prayer and fasting. Personally, I believe that because of the extra focus. We pray for, who knows, we pray for a lot of reasons. It's not always faith and it's not always healthy sometimes. It's fear, it's worry, it's troubleshooting, it's desperate. You could fast for a lot of reasons, but wonder if we combined them healthily and do it for the right reason. So you get alone and you pray and you're building yourself up in God. All of a sudden, the things you're praying feel more real. They see, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God's more prevalent in your life. There's an awareness, and it's all through the process of prayer and fasting, and your flesh is, is submitted. Wouldn't that be awesome if your flesh was just hush? Just hush. Because the flesh and the voices you hear contrary to truth are connected, unless you didn't know that. The self-conscious tendencies and all that stuff, it's all connected to flesh living. The more spirit conscious I become, the more I don't hear that voice, or if I hear it, it's so exposed that I don't even follow it. Why don't you follow a stranger's voice? Because it's strange. It's simple. You want the stranger's voice to be strange. You following? So when I go into a fast, I'll submit myself to God, and I'll, 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 I'll submit myself, and I'll put down the things of flesh. Like, I'll be alone. You're not there. You're not in the room. Father, I just yield to you. And I just thank you, you've made me to be spirit and you've, you've made me to have authority in the name of Jesus and walk in the kingdom of God and reveal the glory of God. Thank you, I'm not a limited man. I'm not a selfish man. I'm not a self-conscious man. I thank you that anger and frustration and, and wrath and jealousy and all those things have no place in my life. I surrender and submit myself to you. And Father, I just renounce any weakness, anything lethargic, anything undisciplined, anything unyielded, I just give myself to you and I thank you, I am a man of the spirit. I just humbly bow before you and I yield to you and I renounce the things of the flesh and I just thank you and I honor you as almighty God. The spirit of God in me rules and the spirit of God in me reigns 
And I just humble myself before you and honor you as almighty God, the glory and lifter of my head. You're the one that has raised me literally from the dead. I bow before you and surely you're the one that raises me up. God, I'm a man of the spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Father, I think in agreement with your mind and your heart burns with inside of me. Father, I yield myself to you and I thank you, Lord God, that the things of the spirit are what moves my life. I am a man of the spirit. My soul agrees and my flesh says, yes, sir. We are in agreement. My spirit is willing and my flesh is strong. My flesh is not a distraction. We are one and we're running together to fulfill the will of God and we will finish this course. I will see your glory and move in your power and not be limited or restricted. My life is in you and surely you are in me. There's a way to enter in to the things of the spirit. Now see, that's how I live when you're not around. That's between me and him, them kind of prayers. Now, if I ask around, there's a lot of people that have never even thought to pray that way or don't have the confidence to pray that way. But that kind of prayer, you have to understand too, you're not compared to me, that kind of prayer builds in you over years where you really begin to see and believe. Do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm renouncing and surrendering and, whoops, and yielding and yielding. And as I'm yielding and surrendering, I'm believing who I really am and I'm coming up in him. And the Holy Spirit taught me to enter into fasts like that. Once I come up, and, I, and it's always different. It's just whatever he's putting on my heart, but I'm yielding to him. Once I walk out of the room, it's on. I'm, I'm locked. And it's not like, oh my God, I'm hungry. It's not even like that. He's just conscious of him. Now watch. You don't need to fast to live that way. I encourage you to live that way every day. But fasting just keeps your flesh in submission where it belongs, where you're not just giving yourself to the things of the flesh. You follow what I'm saying? I would encourage you not to pamper your flesh a whole lot. Don't powder it and puff it up. <laughs> no, you girls, you can still powder. But don't nurture your flesh, nurture your spirit. You follow me? Ron, did you have something? Turn the bottom, I think the bottom button. Flip. Hello? Yeah. Yep, you're there, buddy. In the late 90s, um, when Mary and I were considering moving, that we didn't know where to move. And I got a map of America, and I fasted and prayed for about three and a half days. And anyways, I got so lightheaded about the third day. I, I mean, I felt like I was high. I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I broke the fast after about three and a half days. But I've been afraid of going on a more than a one-day fast because right. of that experience. Okay. Yeah, and you don't, you know, that's where the Lord might say, Ron, I want you to do this to empower you. But if you had an experience like that, some people have certain medical condi conditions that they're still fighting, contending with, believing for. And it's not a law. It's not legalistic. So what I'm saying is, isn't condemnation. The key is, man, just miss a meal now and then. Just skip a meal. Just say, you know what? I'm just going to skip a meal. When I first met Todd, I gave him, he wanted to know about fasting. I told him a little bit. He's like, dude, that's kind of whacked. <laughs> and I gave him a book, and it was a pretty intense, it's a militant book, and you have to read it in grace, so you'll just hear it in law. It's a, it sounds like the law when you read it, but I like it. I can, because I can hear anything in grace and separate. So I want you to talk to me straight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm reading this book going, whoa. And Todd, I gave, I gave him the book. I said, well, read this, but make sure. And I told him, and Next day I saw him, he gave it back. He had that look in his eyes. He says, dude, you can have the book back. 
He said, I read a chapter in about two more pages. I just closed the book, said, this ain't for me. And, and at that time, he told me missing a meal was like, yeah, right. Now he fasts every other day. For a season, he fasted every other day, and it became a work to him, and it just became a habit. And on the days he wasn't fasting, he was eating twice as much as he would have anyway. So it was like the Lord just repositioned, got him in good place, lost a bunch of weight, got himself feeling healthy, and then got his heart realigned and got him back on the every other day thing because the Lord really wanted him to do it. So he does that faithfully. Well, it's Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays he fasts. So that's neat. It's, it's an active, it's just staying active and it's just an unto the Lord thing. It's not a works thing. Uh, it just keeps your flesh in a good place. So when what Ron's saying is, you have an experience like that, you're not mandated. God's not saying if you don't fast 10 days, man, if you don't fast 40 days, if you don't fast, you know what I'm saying? He's not saying that. But in your heart to know him more and say, hey, you know what? I want to press into God. I just, this whole thing, if you called me to fast and said, when you fast, there has to be a place to be able to do it, and I'm going to do it. And you just do a day. Do Miss a meal. Stretch into another day. Challenge that experience and by faith, roll into the third day. Don't be afraid. Fear's never God. Do you see what I mean? If it's in your heart, you have that privilege. Do you see what I'm saying? But man, just miss a meal. Some people need to just start somewhere and just miss a meal. Just miss a meal because I'll tell you, you'd be amazed how just missing a meal seems really inconvenient. I want to miss a meal. If I miss a meal, I'll get so lightheaded, I'll get shaky. Yeah, and that's your flesh. You've been, you're so trained. <laughs> Your flesh is saying, what are you doing to me? <laughs> We're just going to pray through the shakes. I'm going to get alone, close the bedroom, and I'm going to say, God, thank you for grooming my spirit. And you just, just take a little season like that and watch the fruit and the benefit that'll come. Because I'll tell you what, if missing a meal wipes us out, we're accommodating our flesh in more ways than we realize. I'm just being straight. I'm just being honest. Did you have a comment or something? And I can't, there's so much to cover. I couldn't possibly cover it in this last hour, but. There it is. Uh, 20, about 24 years ago, my husband and I were separated. Um, we, were, we were almost divorced. Our house was up for sale. He had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend. And we were, you know, doing a nice divorce. And the Lord I was so bad I was going to commit suicide and I just knelt down at my bed I gave, gave him my daughter and I said I can't go through this this is so painful and I just knelt down and just asked God to forgive me for what I was about to do because I knew I had failed him and he came into my bedroom and uh, it was a whole night that he just was there with me and when I got up he said now I want you to ask your husband back and I was like, oh, I can't do that, you know, but I had to obey him, and he said, and you're going to go on a fast, and I did, and it ended up being a 21-day fast, and he showed, he gave me a battle plan, right. and it was beautiful, because it was a day-by-day, step-by-step fast, it came, and it was amazing, and 33 years later, I am still with my husband, we had yeah. two more children, and um, 
It's, 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 beautiful, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Do you see how the fast zeroed her into God, his voice, the battle plan? Yeah, the fast, was right on the fast gets her away from the whole mess she's in when he shows up in a room. First of all, isn't Jesus amazing to show up in a room and begin to love her and not say, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. They bring a woman to him who committed adultery. Right. They got stones in their hands. They want to judge her and they're testing Jesus. And he looks around in the wisdom of God. Oh, it's just so amazing. He says, who among you have not sinned? Go ahead and throw the first stone. We know the story. But see, we think he disqualified everybody, but he, at the same time he disqualified them, he qualified himself to throw a stone. So what he was saying is, I, I legally could have the right to judge you. But he didn't come to judge, he came to save. And he looks at her and says, woman, where are thine accusers? She looks around and says, there are none, Lord. He says, I accuse you neither. The reason he said that is because he qualified himself to accuse her. (laughs) But he didn't see her for adultery. He saw her for a daughter. He saw her for potential, for purpose, for destiny. I think it's beautiful. He comes into a room in a mess like that. Boyfriend, girlfriend, just making their own way. Hey, if this didn't work, something else will. Fending for themselves, still hurt, still despairing, still all that stuff. And then cry out to Jesus and he just shows up. Boop. Duh. Loved you. Ah, you better believe he did. And then he brings her into this fast. Why? Because he's grooming her. He's getting her mind off of everything that permitted her to be in the place that she was. Well, I understand. But this whole fast thing, it conditions her, it focuses her, and look what happened. And God releases his grace, and here they are all these years later, and bam. It's just beautiful. But do you see the purpose of that fast? i got to close with this. I, I opened up this fasting thing, and I don't know if we'll cover it anymore, but there's probably some questions or something. But, and towards the end of school, just so you know, we'll take a day and probably two right at the end of school, and, and the whole class will just be questions that were maybe held or not that we didn't address or that you still have. And we will just have a whole day, right, Sue? We will have a whole day of just question and answer and we'll answer the best we can, okay? So that'll be towards the end of school. But I wanna read this in Isaiah 58 and close. And tomorrow, if you have questions on fasting and wanna ask some more, we can just try to wrap up some things. But there's some other scriptures we could look at. But just remember that Jesus said, in that day, they will fast. In that day, they will fast. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't interested in him fasting then because it was under the legal code of why people were fasting and he wasn't gonna put an old piece of garment onto something new. He wasn't gonna put old wine into something new. He wanted the motive, the reason, and everything about it to be new. Isn't that cool? He's pointing to that here in Isaiah 58. He's... uh, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, they delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of, as if everything's cool. See, they're thinking fasting is making up for sin. You see? And all that stuff. Fasting is not, fasting is to see clear, to suppress the carnal nature. We already covered that. It's actually great health benefits to fasting. 
on the natural side, apart from the gospel, if you just move the gospel completely away, fasting's very beneficial in your life. Gives your body a break, it cleans you out, it's house cleaning, feeds on things that, 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 that need to be removed. It's just fasting's very healthy. It, they, they've done studies and results on people that have fasted for long times. And uh, your liver takes its natural shape and size and form and everything gets rested, everything gets cleaned out. When you come off of a fast, especially if it's over three days, you should come off gently and slowly. You just don't go eat a meal. If you're fasting more than a week or two, uh, you should take a long time to come off. You dilute some juices. There's some good books out there on that stuff. I actually have have a, a good book. I'm not sure how you track them down. I have a real good book that tells you how to come off fasts. It's, it's, it's hard to track down. I, there's a guy that gets him out of Texas or something. It's written by Franklin Hall, and I really like it. But uh, he claims that you ought to take as long to come off the fast as you were fasting. But it's not quite that extreme. He's just talking on a real healthy side. But say you fasted for 40 days. You shouldn't take less than about 12 days to come off the fast and be eating a normal diet. And you start off with very diluted amounts of diluted juice, real small. And, and then you wean into some fresh fruit, some real... There's just some stuff you do. See what I mean? It's harder. There's more discipline in coming off of a long fast than doing the fast itself. Because when you come off the fast, you trigger hunger. And now your belly's going, feed me. People say, well, if you're fasting for 21 days, that's starving myself. It's not starvation. Fasting is, is, is totally cool. Your body understands it and positions for it and cleans. Remember it says in after 40 days, Jesus hungered when that strong, viable hunger returns. That's when the fast is complete. A complete fast is when you go into the place where hunger leaves, you're doing good, there's a house cleaning. Actually, two weeks into fasting, I don't know how some people here that fasted long, two weeks into fasting, I have more energy and more zip than I do when I'm not fasting. Two weeks into fasting, I'm like a live wire. I'm like, People say, well, you're like that anyway. No, I'm really like that two weeks into fasting. I'm not like, serious. It's just, it's just, the body's just in a good place. But when hunger returns, and different, different for people if we're carrying extra weight, uh, if we haven't done long fasts, you could fast. You, it's not just 21, 30, 40, 50 days. It's whatever your body says. But you fast a certain amount of time and all of a sudden your body's done and your body says, feed me and it's time. And if you go past that, that's when you cross the line into starving yourself because your body's saying, look, I need nourishment now. But you'd be amazed how long you can live. Franklin Hall has a lady in the book. She, she fasted 82 days on water, just water. It's fascinating. She did 60, 60 plus days four or five times. <gasps> and when you looked at her in the picture, she was just radiant. Just this precious elderly lady, like a grandmother figure. And she said in the 82 days, she said the, the uh, experiences of heaven and the glory of Jesus was so magnificent, I swore that I would never eat again. She was in prayer and God translated her to a service. She was on the platform and there was a wheelchair and she prayed for a lady and the lady got healed and got out of the wheelchair. God took her from her bedroom to the service in the 82-day fast. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't want that stuff. It's just our bodies are going 82 days and our minds are trying to wrap around that. You see what I'm saying? But I'm not saying you have to do that. You don't get legalistic with it. She caught the joy of it and did it. 
Uh, there's a story in the book of a man who fasted 40 days. Now, I don't want that to happen because I like my hair. It just, ever since I got saved, my hair turned like this. I was 33 and my hair started turning as soon as I got saved. Ain't nobody in my heritage family generations that have hair like my hair. It's just the God thing to me. And I don't care. I was 38 and it was completely like this. And uh, I say, the more I pray and read my Bible, it changes. So I'm just okay with it. <laughs> but this man had, had gray hair, whitish gray hair. And he fasted 40 days and, and his coal black hair grew back in after a 40 day fast. It's just crazy stuff. So I don't know what was causing genetically the gray hair, this and that, but whatever was causing that, it got reverted through the fast and his hair color came back. Different things. There's a lot of stories in there about the natural benefits of fasting in his book. It's Franklin Hall. I don't know if you could track down a Franklin Hall book on fasting, but it's called The Atomic Power of God Through Fasting. But I caution you, if you read it, that you don't read it legalistically. It would be very easy to read that book legalistically and get condemned and go into a fast because you ought to or have to or should to or need to. Fasting's a privilege. So I do caution you if you read that book, so I'm making that clear. If you get a hold of that book, I have a couple laying at home. If somebody, if, if, you, if you guys want me to bring one of them in and you just want to kind of pass them around, the book is so thin, it's so little, you can burn through it if you're a reader and you can just pass it through the school if you want. I can bring it in if somebody would want to read it. Okay. Oh yeah, man, you're talking other tongues to me, dude. Whatever. She just has PBTF. That's PFD is a life preserver for boating, fishing. What? What is this? A PDF and then a jump. Hatabakasa. I just didn't pray much and get the interpretation. That was other tongues. That was another language, Franklin Hall. But I caution you, if you read it, that you don't read it in the law. It's written, in, it's written almost in the law. Mm-hmm. But the reason I got so much out of it because of the benefit of fasting and his revelation on why to fast, I, just the privilege and the best blessing of it. Uh, so I have a real faith. Do you understand that the faith I have when I fast is what motivates me in the fast? Do you understand that everything you do by faith if it's a works, no wonder it's so hard. I can't read this, we're late. We will pick up on this tomorrow and I'm sure there's other questions and stuff. So I just, I just wanted to get in on that because if Jesus, if the only place in the Bible it was recorded in the New Testament uh, 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 being proclaimed where Jesus is on the earth, I understand they're still under the old, but he didn't die yet, but he was still giving us peeks into what was to come, right? He's healing everybody. His people, are, his guys are working and moving in the power. And man, there was a guy in the Bible that was casting out devils in Jesus' name. You aware of that? And the disciples were bothered because he didn't run with them, but yet somehow he had a revelation of who Jesus was and was using that authority to cast out devils. That's impressive. And they, they wanted to stop him and shut him down. And Jesus said, no, you don't shut him down. Nobody can do a good thing in my name today and soon be against me. It's cool. I'm like, who is this guy that had a revelation, cast out devils in Jesus' name, and he hadn't even died on the cross yet? That's just amazing. So we see that stuff being revealed. And, uh, and yet in this, it's the only place in the New Testament where people prayed and the person wasn't healed. Would you agree? 
Matthew 17. It's the only place recorded where they prayed and it didn't happen. Jesus had a lot to say about it. And it's the answer, and we ought to respond. And the end was prayer and fasting was how to get the problem out of the way. So we ought to take heed to that. That's all I'm saying. Amen? So we'll pick up a little bit. Why don't we just stand to our feet and we'll pray. And, and uh, yeah, just something I wanted to touch there in my heart. It just came in my heart. Got to teach on healing a little and what's possible. And Be encouraged, man. Lay hands on the sick. The Spirit of God's in us. The kingdom's in us. Remember, when you lay hands on the sick, it's the sign of believing. Not healing. Laying hands on the sick is the sign of believing. The healing comes because you've believed and laid hands on the sick. They recover. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So, Father, we just stand in your presence. We thank you. We just thank you for the grace of just growing and knowing you. Just the grace on this school that we would be encouraged and strengthened in every way, God. And, Father, even this little fasting thing we did here for the last hour talking about it just just ask that you touch it and grace it and just put a desire and a understanding in our hearts and and just multiply us in that way and we just thank you for the benefit of it we thank you lord god that if we have faith nothing's impossible however the things that are hindering the possible can be removed by fasting we ought to take heed so thank you god because i don't want limited and i don't think anyone here wants limited So teach us, instruct us, and continue to bring revelation upon revelation and let every mountain submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, bless you guys, you're awesome. Hey Matt, here man, I brought this back in. I checked it out, I I didn't wanna keep it. But I did take it home and check it out. But it's your book, man. But it's hard for me, what's that? What's that con- considered the way it's written? That the the it's supposed to be, I think it's called lull speak. It's like lull speak. Okay. 